This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! This is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast, and my name is Lisa. I'm the host, duh. My name is Kara. I'm the other host, obviously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you know what we do. We talk SVU. We talk true crime. We talk to a fabulous guest. And, you know, this today's episode is no different. But um, we also tour. That's another thing we do. We go on tour. We We do this podcast live. It's very different. It's got PowerPoint, games, audience interaction, It's so much fun. It's truly not just like two podcast hosts sitting at a card table. Not that I'm shading people that do that, but that's just not what we do. It's a much more... I think if you're paying a ticket price, it's if you're paying a ticket price, we like to give the people a little something extra and and we are there with our PowerPoint and our extra I know. It's just funny because you are talking about a specific podcast you went to see live. Yeah, I am. I am. So don't lie to our listeners. I was annoyed I had to pay a a ticket price to a podcast I don't listen to for someone's birthday. But anyway, we are coming out this fall to 21 cities. I am so excited. We just announced Chicago last week. Um, That was a holdout that we had to wait to announce because it's part of a festival. So your hometown girl, Lisa's coming home and we love coming to Chicago. We'll be in DC, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Raleigh in in, um, September. So the DC tickets are flying. So get those and then come see us, Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh. We need you guys. We can't come back if you guys don't come. So, um, yeah, and then check our, check thatsmessuplive.com for all the other dates that we're doing. We're going all over the place, including Toronto, international baby. And, and I have stand-up dates, no big deal. Wilmington, <laughs> Sacramento, Portland, San Francisco, D.C., and on. But those are through, you know, yeah. more recent. Check out Lisa's stand-up. That's all on her Instagram. And listen, we are... In a what a cul-de-sac of life, we are in a strike. Double strike. We are a strike. Well, you know, we, you guys always, you guys know, we're in the time machine as always. Like this will be coming out probably two weeks into the strike, but we just, as of this recording, we're kind of new into the strike. Lisa and I are both members of SAG, uh, so we both voted for the strike. We support the strike a thousand percent. One thousand percent. Did you watch the TikTok where it was like the law that was changed by the Justice Department in August 2020? No. So back in the day, the studios would own like the movie theaters, the ticketing places. The stu- they it was like they double dipped on stuff, and so there yeah. was, um, like a law or whatever, a thing, a restriction. I don't know the legal terms. Uh-huh. <laughs> Put on so it all has to be separate. So the movie theaters have to be separate from the studios, have to be separate from the marketing. So there's no double dipping. But in technology companies, that doesn't exist. It's all. Unilateral is the word that they used, I guess. This is, it's really embarrassing trying to (laughs) summarize something that is above my brain. But basically, like, Google then owns all the Google marketing. And, like, for tech companies, you're allowed to own everything and, and double dip. And so that's what happened, like, all of these streamers are tech companies. They are not 
film, you know, they're not studios. And so, but then they became the studios and the distributors and the market. They own all of it. And in August, 2020, while we were dealing with, I don't know, an election, COVID, uh, a racial uprising, like yeah. basically they quickly asked um, the Justice Department to switch it and they did. And so that is how they're now able to, by law, like double dip in all of these ways and own everything and not have to pay residuals or fair prices or basically anything because they own the production and the distribution. Yeah. But the, also the big reason why they don't have to pay residuals really too is that they don't, no one knows how popular a show is on a streamer. Like it, for television, we have the Nielsen ratings. Everybody agreed a long time ago, there's the Nielsen ratings. There are certain people have Nielsen boxes and that determines based on a lot of analytics and stuff that they put into it, how many people are watching something. I'm sure now also social media and other factors are involved. But, but the it's thing very that easy sucks is they do know. They just don't tell that yes, information. Yes, they just won't tell. Yes, they exactly know. Netflix, they have nothing but data. Netflix knows when you turn it off, Hulu knows, oh, there's something about the credit sequence that these people don't like. They're turning it off after the opening credits, like, or whatever. There's so much data. They know exactly, but they don't share it because it's all about competition. So, and what the actors are suggesting is let's use this place. I believe it's called like parent media or something like that, that, that does, um, that basically tries to use social media and a lot of different analytics to figure out what the popular shows are. Like, what what makes Wednesday a hit? What makes, um, you know, a show like Survival of the Thickest a hit? You know, I'll just mention that show out of nowhere. That is not a project I worked on. Um, but, you know, that they can't, they don't share any of that. And so then, but the people that are working on Wednesday are like, I know this is a global hit. Like, why am I not getting any money? Or like, now the Orange is the New Black Girls, several of whom we've interviewed, are on the news. They're in the news. There was a big article talking about how freaking Orange is the New Black broke open the whole streaming thing. Like, they were the first big streaming hit and those girls get checks for $10. Like, it's not crazy. Even, yeah, the Gilmore Girls guy, he was talking about like, yeah, it's just the person who sells the licensing, so Universal or whatever big company. And these actors worked in the show and they just, they're playing it over and over, making so much money. And it just sucks that these stockholders and CEOs, I mean, I saw one thing that this could be the like strike that truly creates like a huge labor change everywhere, or a big yeah. revolution because this of the about, fame. Because yeah. it's basically, it's most industries. The bosses are making hundreds of millions of dollars. It's all about stockholders. Like, I don't understand the people that think the stockholders deserve more money than the actors or the writers. Like, that's I don't understand yeah. poor people fighting for the rich people on, on social media. That's what's confusing. Or, like, anti-act. It's so wild Well, me. I mean, we like to think about acting and writing as art, but when you involve tech companies, it's about Wall Street. That's all they care about is what you're making next quarter. It's all about money. So it's like... It, there's not the same, you know, oh, let's just make this movie because this is a movie, a story that needs to be told, even if it's not going to make a ton of money. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of mentality is fading away, but... But it's fine. The goal should be to make money. Okay, yeah. I believe in that. Make money, but like to not pay the people making it. But this person online just said, this might be the thing that breaks it up, like open for everyone is because of the fame. Yeah, we love famous people. And so when it's recognizable, people are striking versus like, not famous people in other industries. So yeah. hopefully this trickles into everywhere. I don't, you know, it's just like, 
it is like the wildest timing to be in a project that comes out the day the strike yeah. rules are enacted. <laughs> yeah, Lucky yeah. we got to do one premiere party and have a great fucking night. Um, but the timing is pretty funny for, for me yeah. personally. Um, but <laughs> everyone believes in it. And the lead of the show, like everyone is for this strike. It's no, this just... is a huge, this is a huge moment for labor unions all across like the world basically. And so if you yeah. think, oh my God, this is just about snobby actors or people that have a ton of money, 87% of the people in SAG cannot even afford the health insurance that's, that don't even make enough to qualify for the health insurance, which is $26,000 a year. So we're not talking about Jessica Chastain. You know, we're talking about like a lot of working actors and working writers and people that are just literally trying to pay their rents and make the entertainment that everyone enjoys. And if we all just want to be watching fucking Love Island until we die, we better figure this out. Yeah, and it's like, it's not just about the actors, it's hair, makeup, lighting, the grips, the catering. Someone in government, local government in California was like, I mean, the restaurants, like all these yeah. places that were providing lunch and catering are losing money. Like every, like there's a Teamsters. I mean, there's so many people that make projects. Yeah. It's not even just the actors and writers. It's like truly every, you know, the the person that's writing the schedules. <laughs> like, yeah. the PAs, it's every, it's, a, it's I, working I, people. IATSE and Teamsters are up for their negotiations next year. So it's like, this is really setting the stage for like a lot of different things. And I really hope that, I don't know, these evil companies, like they, I feel like they have no recourse. They just give interviews where they go, this is unrealistic. Why? I can't say why. Like they have, there's, they literally don't have a leg to stand on, it feels like. No, but they do have all the power. That's that's they the just thing. say we don't have any money. We don't have any money because like Paramount Plus might not be making money, but like the parent company is. Like parent, I think Paramount is making money. You know, like it's just well, they have crazy. Survivor, of course they are. But no, it's <laughs> like these dudes have fucking yachts. They were all at a billionaire summit while he was. Uh, one of them was making all those quotes. Like yeah, and I one agree. of my friends, uh, Julia, she brought up. She's like one of them. Like he only makes twenty five million a year, so he probably thinks he's not that rich because their brains are broken, and all his friends have hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, so he's there. Like I'm just, I'm not even that rich, you know? Like, yeah, that's Ted the Sarandos, Ted Sarandos of Netflix makes twenty million base, but like 50 million when you get his bonuses and his stock options and all but the shit at the end of the year. my thing is, why would he get bonuses, but not the people that made it? I don't, yeah. I just want to get into their brains. Like, I don't understand it, but what is their, how, what is their reasoning to think that, the, I mean, it's like they don't respect labor, obviously. Um, but like, I just don't, under, the math ain't mathin'. Like, how is yeah. it, how are stockholders have nothing to do with, like, how do they, how do they do the mental gymnastics in their head? Like, fuck, this show's a giant hit. Let's give bonuses to someone who had nothing to do. Like, I don't understand. I don't I mean, it. I think in his mind, he's probably like, well, I'm part of a huge team and we greenlit the project and developed it and marketed it and we were a huge part of why it's successful. And also, we have no money. We are actually really broke and we're in the red. You know, it's all, it's, it is mental gymnastics. Like, it's bullshit. Because I just think about some of these shows that I'm like obsessed with and bring me to tears and I watch over and over and over again. I mean, I've there's a cartoon I love on that I watch to go to bed almost every single night. Like those people that created that show and are doing the voice, like and drawing, they, how are they not making money? I swear. Oh, one of the creators, one of the creators of that show was at my house the other night and they told me. Excuse me? What? 
Yeah. Well, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, but I don't. You didn't tell me that they were at your house. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, labor union power couple. If you know who we're talking about, I don't know if I we're going to sure cut this do. or what, but I know Lisa does. And she was telling me that that she's in animation and she only does union stuff, and that must be really difficult because animation is so non-union. But they need to change too. Like, it's crazy. And also, what I don't get: how did the directors settle so fast? It's like that's I heard- such a fuck you too. A friend of mine who's in the WGA and pretty active in the picketing and stuff told me that she heard that they regret it now. Like, I think that they don't realize that they could... I don't think they thought the actors were going to go and now they don't realize... They're not part of this, like, massive, like, movement, which they could have been a really helpful part of, but... Well, they they could have just joined the writers. It's pretty embarrassing that the directors, yeah. like, truly just got what they wanted and said, fuck you to everyone. Because guess yeah. what? You're not working now either. Right. Right. I just hope it ends quickly. Uh, I, we wanted to just give like a quick disclaimer about the podcast. Like yeah. our podcast is not affected by the strike, but we do have guests that we have a few more guests left because you know that we pre-tape our, our guests. And so we have a few more guests left who taped before we ever there was ever a strike. We're going to release those episodes. And then after that, we're going to release a few episodes with some surprises maybe, you know? So just stay tuned. Yeah. But just so you know, we're not going anywhere. Our pod is good. Everything's everything's good. But we are going to be striking. We're going to be on the picket. Stay tuned. And I know. You know. Where do I find it? It's like, do I really have to look at email? Now I'm even doubly pissed about this strike. Now I have to check <laughs> my email, fucking find locations. Yeah, you know, I, I get can send heat it rash. To you. I'll text it to you. I have it. I have it. Because, <laughs> you know, I got to hit the fucking pickets. Jesus. Yeah. You got to see who, we got to see who's out there. Please. You and I are the biggest, like, um, like we have binoculars for the celebs, you know. I want, <laughs> I want recon jobs though. I want them to send me off to do like wild shit, like sneaking. Like I just want to choke out a CEO. Don't cut that, Casey. That's <laughs> well, a I threat. Think that, That's a fucking I, threat. I think the exciting stuff at the beginning was that people were stopping productions. Like they were shutting down productions. Like they couldn't, the Teamsters couldn't get in. The IATSE, like the crew couldn't get in. So they were stopping productions. And it was like, yeah, we shut down the season finale of Evil or whatever. But now everything's pretty much shut down. So I I think we just have to send Lisa to choke out CEOs. Why don't you just hang out at like Catch, like a restaurant, like a fancy restaurant. Well, you know it wouldn't be With like a blow dart. You didn't watch The Real Housewives of New York new season, didn't you? Not yet, not yet. But I know that there's a reference. Oh, Catch is like, they're basically like, I wouldn't be caught dead at Catch. It's not 2006. I'm not a D-list mod. Like, they hate Catch. And it's like, <laughs> clearly we're going to Catch. Like, I yeah, can't the wait one, to go Well, to catch. there's one in LA. There's one in LA. I didn't know that. Didn't and know it's that. Ve- well, we and everybody go. says it's very beautiful. And my husband used to work for a late night talk show and the host loved that place and used to do things there all the time. My aunt, I believe, is a small investor in Catch. So I've been dying to go. Never been. But um, we'll know. And then one of the housewives reviews. is one of the housewives was like, I mean, I'd bring tourists visiting from Florida and legit our friend and her boyfriend from Florida were there two weeks ago. Yeah. So <laughs> she was like, that tracks. <laughs> so funny. Um, well, we've already got the light and uh, the light. So we've this already was got the a flag. serious intro. Join us next week. You, you know, hopefully you will. All our, all our peeps. Yeah. And we've for got- more fun updates. I saw Broadway shows. I was in New York. You know, there's things to share. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to give you more. now. Now it's not just now. strike. <laughs> Union. Um. Okay. Guys, 
Check out our tour dates. That's messuplive.com. And now enjoy our gorgeous episode that is a full-on classic. Okie doke. We are doing class today. Uh, season seven, episode 17. A hot are you, one. Am I the only one who keeps thinking, got no class? No, from Chicago? Oh, I don't. Whatever happened to class? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to class? Yes. That's a good That's one. actually what I was singing in my head as I was pressing snooze on my alarm. And I think <laughs> it was my uh, subconscious brain going, we got to do class. Get up. <laughs> Get up. Time Get for up. class. That works too. <laughs> Say by the bell, the new class. I mean, there's a lot of things. I, this is a good one. This is a, I remember this one from Days of Yore. It's from 2006. Uh, we open on a car pulling up slowly next to a sex worker, like so many beautiful episodes of SBU begin. And I immediately recognize this um, sex worker as Tika Sumpter. I know her originally from Gossip Girl, but she's in all the ride along movies, the Sonic the Hedgehog movies with your best friend. Ben Schwartz. And she, but a big thing she's in is the have and the have nots. It well, was like a so Tyler Perry Casey, show. Casey seems shocked by this Ben Schwartz thing. I ran into him on another flight <laughs> and he is still the nicest celebrity in the world. He waited for me at the gate and we walked the whole JFK terminal chatting. <laughs> and when I was saying bye, he gave me a hug and I go, you're so nice. This is crazy. He goes, oh, what, you know, what's up? And I go, I go, you're so nice. Like, I thought when you saw me, you would be like, oh, not this bitch again. She's going to want to talk. And he was like, no, not at all. And I'm like, who are you? And then everyone I've told a story about how nice he is, they're like, he's so fucking hot. And I'm like, yeah, I guess he's hot, nice, and talented. <laughs> Anyways, that was an aside, Casey. How wild. Running to him on two planes. That We're playing friends now. You guys are playing buddies. All so, right, we're back to the sex worker, obviously. Yes. And this was Tika Sumter's first acting gig, according to her IMDb. So kind of exciting. Uh, her name is Vegas, and she's talking to this dude who's like very nervous. He obviously hasn't picked someone up before. And she goes, listen, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And in context, good. I love that. I love that. It's a good line. They hear a noise, and Vegas is like, oh, fuck no. That better not be somebody as she says, some bitch work in my stroll. So she starts heading towards this alley. Like she's truly in like a bikini and a fur coat. She's like strutting towards the alley, tits a jiggling. This guy runs out, gets into a Jeep and speeds off. And she's like, that's right, you better run. Like, it's like she has no fear. She looks down to the sidewalk grate and sees a blonde girl wrapped in a blanket, dead as hell. So now we cut to a uniform officer giving Benson and Stabler the rundown. This is a rape homicide. Skimpy clothes all torn up, dumped under the grate on a lover's lane, he says. Probably a pross, he says. Not my, not my words, his. Vegas called it in. He calls her your, fav- your friendly neighborhood hooker. So there's a lot of little jabs at sex workers here because it is 2006. They're not quite... They're where they are now yet on SVU. Um, you're going to love this. So um, there's a comic next to me and then, you know, our friend Anthony DeVito sitting with us. And so this other friend, I go, wow, you look good. You look good. And he goes, thanks. And he goes, oh, I just got dumped by this stripper. And I go, 
why is that worse than being dumped by anybody else? Um, I can't believe you're so anti-sex worker. And then Anthony DeVito starts laughing. He's like, I've never seen someone get into a fight so fast. He's like, <laughs> he's like, it turned in one moment from you look good to how dare you not be pro-sex. <laughs> one wrong move. One wrong move. Lisa's going to get you. <laughs> And then this guy's like, I dated her. But I was like, yeah, but you didn't say I got dumped by my girlfriend. You made a point yeah, to you, say I got dumped by the right. stripper. Yeah, no one ever sits down and goes, oh, I got dumped by a financial uh, analyst. You know, you just say I got dumped by my boyfriend. <laughs> so Vegas doesn't recognize, unfortunately, that's all we get from Vegas. Um, she doesn't recognize the girl, but there have been a lot of newcomers working that area lately. There was no purse or ID found on the victim. When we get to the body, Melinda's already there, hard at work talking fluids. She says, no visible fluids, but this girl's got something on her fingers that Liv thinks it's like her fingers are torn up and bloody, but really it's red paint. She's got red paint on her fingers. And Melinda's like, nothing around here looks like this color. It must be from where she was killed. You know, file that away for later. Strangle marks indicate she was killed around midnight or 1230 a.m. Then they hear a voice called detectives. And I can know immediately from the voice that it is CSU captain Judith Cyper and friend of the pod. I know her voice before I even see her. And she's like, found the purse. And in the purse, we've got lipstick, perfume, breath mints, condoms, no license, but a college ID from where the fuck else? Hudson University. Now, the character's name is Caroline Pereira, but her ID is missing an R and just says Caroline Perea. So just a fuck up from the prop department. Come on, guys, let's get it together. I know it's 2006 and a lot's going on, but you know, the 24-hour news cycle and Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and all that. But like, let's get the names right. So they also find her phone. There's a blurry picture on it from right around the time of her death. You can't like see if it's a person, but there's like a like an orb of light in it. And so they're like, oh my God, did she get a picture of her attacker? Boom, credits. So now we're with another pod buddy, Joel De La Fuente. This episode I wouldn't say is star studded, but it's a lot of familiar people to me. Like Tika Sumter as just like the opening body finder. She has like 2 million followers on Instagram. Like she's a star now. So there's a lot of people in here that I will go into later that I know. Yeah, it is wild. Like in five years, will we just be like, they've been on the pod and a friend of the pod and another friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That's all we'll have. We'll have had everybody. Anyone will be a friend of ours. Um, so now we're with pod buddy, Joel De La Fuente, a.k.a. Ruben Morales, a.k.a. Taru. And Stabler's like, can you enhance it? And we all know enhancing is like not real. Like they did it on Adam Ruins Everything. Like the shit, they the trope of police procedurals that you can just like click a button and all the pixels go away and it's a clearer picture is bullshit. And Teru agrees. He's like, listen, cell phones take shitty pictures. Like I can't do anything about it. Um, and the parents are coming to New York City to ID the body from LaGrange. I Googled LaGrange and there's a LaGrange in Illinois and Texas. There's like a bunch yeah. of them. So I, I wasn't sure where that was. But Stabler's like, wow, what a cliche. Small town girl makes money hooking in the big city. And Finn's like, wouldn't be the first time a college girl's flat backed her way to a diploma. Damn, these guys are on it with the terms. And at Hudson, they find out that Caroline was on work study. She washed dishes at the cafeteria, but quit at the start of the semester. That's got to be brutal at a school like Hudson to like be washing dishes for your classmates. Like, I mean, I knew people that were on work study and they did tons of stuff and it wasn't washing dishes for like the 
your because it just oh. seems like it's like a richy rich school. So it just feels oh. like it's a very big have and have not situation. Speaking of Tika Sumter's former credit. So in my, I remember at Iowa State, definitely students worked in the kit. Like everyone was working everywhere. Oh, okay. It just didn't see, like people yeah, had like jobs. At, at my school, every, people had work study jobs all over the place. It just wasn't that. Like it wasn't washing dishes, but it was like doing like a lot of other things. But um, so you had so students weren't working in the cafeteria and stuff. No, no, that was like fully staff. Like there was like employees like, of a company because they were a separate company. Like you do, you didn't work for the school. Like they worked for a company called like Marriott. And I, because I remember I had a jacket that said Marmot and one of the ladies, we loved this one lady. And she was like, oh my God, I love your jacket. It says Marriott. I was like, it says Marmot, but I do love you guys. <laughs> I don't have a Marriott jacket, but I love you guys. And we like gave her a big present when we graduated. We were like obsessed with this one woman that worked at the cave. I mean, I, now I'm an asshole that's forgetting her name, but they don't- Yeah, you're such an asshole. You don't remember her name from 20 years ago. I know, but like we <laughs> loved her. Like we always said hi to her. She was so nice. And like, we gave her like this big, like, I think we just, like, our whole class, like, put together money for her at the end of the year because we were like, she rules. I wonder if the other employees are like, damn. I know. They're probably like, fuck that. There was also a guy behind the grill that everybody really loved who made the chopped chicken and cheese for everybody. Anyway. My favorite was weekends we had an omelet bar. I don't want to brag, but we had an omelet bar all the time. I just love an omelet <laughs> bar. Yeah. Or where when we play in San Diego, that hotel has an omelet bar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, <laughs> I remember. really love it. And we I sit outside it. and have an omelet. Yeah, I like that. Because <laughs> I don't think I or I would order an omelet, but if I see a station, I'm running. Yeah, because like, there's never, like, I mean, so I guess sometimes there is, but on the menu, it's never the exact omelet you want. And then at the omelet bar, it's your world. But back to this story, they... The woman that they're talking to is the bursar at this college. And she's like, they don't have to work at the school as long as the bill gets paid. And Caroline paid her bills and she did it in cash, baby. And they're like, you don't care how a 20-year-old came in here with $15,000 in cash? She's like, none of my business as long as it's American green, baby. Well, sorry I keep interrupting. So our friend Julia, when I met her, she was working at like the student affairs office at the college I went to. Yeah. Um, so that's how we kind of met. But because I was just paying my tuition with checks, she thought I was like, you know, and it's the North Shore. She just thought I was like a rich, spoiled North Shore girl. <laughs> and then cut to us becoming friends and her meeting my senior citizen Soviet parents. And she was like, <laughs> this is not what I expected with you just paying tuition. I was like, no, I ruined my parents' life. Like, I am a spoiled brat and they needed me to graduate. But... They did pay for college, which is incredible. Uh, oh and I, I apologize to them all the time. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I could have gone to any old school. You're going to get them back. Didn't you bought your dad a Fabergé egg? I think you guys are even. <laughs> <laughs> I think an apology is worth a lot to them, but it yeah. was funny. She said before we got to be friends that she just thought I was like the richest girl in school paying tuition. That's so funny. Because did you have your like little blonde highlights and you were like Probably. just <laughs> fresh from a White Sox game? I love that. Okay. I Well, but I, the thing is I didn't have a, North Face fleece, I had a Columbia fleece. And that means you're poor, where I come well, from. Well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you know what I always think of as rich people, because I have a few rich friends, people that like read, and this actually is you too, Lisa. So maybe like I'm, maybe I'm, this is, my friends that are rich, like would always just reach into their bags and there would be cash. 
just like cash floating around. And I'm like, my cash is in my wallet, like lined up. I know exactly how much is there. <laughs> Lisa just, <laughs> she just flashed to the camera a wad of random money. But that's different for you because you get paid in cash a lot from, from stand-up. Like my rich friends would just like reach into a bag, like a tote, and it would be like an expensive skin cream and then just like 20s and 5s just like everywhere. And I'd be like, wow, you just have money in there like it's a wadded up tissue. And you know what's even sexier is paying in cash. Nothing <laughs> like putting a few hundreds down at dinner. Oh my God. I mean, that's that's like one of the best parts of New York is getting spot pay and it's cash and you just are like, is this even real? It feels like Monopoly. And I it's don't know. Also, I love yeah, that. it's nice because you kind of have your balance in your head. And like when you spend money like on cards or like Venmo, you like your balance goes down. But when it's cash, it's like, oh, I'm just float. I'm just still where I was, you know? Like it's like cash is just carrying you through. I never have cash on me. And it's like I'm getting it for something I would probably do for free. <laughs> I know I would. I did it for years. I yes. still do it for free. <laughs> so just to get this cash always feels. Feels nice. So nice. But yeah. Well, the Bling Ring documentary about those girls, like that group, they said when they went into Paris Hilton's house and were like going through her purses, it was just hundreds and hundreds of extra cash in all these purses. Just in purses and that cold. you, like the way that you find a fiver and you're like, yay, cool. This is going to be a good day. They she said just hundreds. hundreds. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. All right. Let's, we're, okay. All right. Well, speaking of, speaking of richy rich people, this bursar tells the cops that Caroline Pereira has a roommate named Gloria Colhane. So now we go visit Gloria and she is classic college bitch. Like she's wearing kind of like a matching, like it looks like it would be a juicy couture sweatsuit in like baby pink, but it's like, it doesn't have like a, like a juicy on the label. Like it's probably even more like a super expensive label. And she's like, Caroline, she has just has like, she's beautiful. Um, this actress is Trieste Kelly Dunn, and she just has like a classic, like good bitch, like villainy face. Like we I can almost like tell she's involved immediately. And, and the um, fashion is so of this era. It is yeah. her face, her makeup, her hair, everything about her is perfect rich. These, this is a rich girl. You're right. Yeah. It's a rich yeah. girl. This girl's got 20s and, and 50s fucking floating around her bag. And she's like, Caroline and I never hung out. We run in different circles. And it's like, what a way to say she's trash and I'm, you're up. She's basically like, I'm up here, Bethany, and you're down here. Finn compliments a big ass ring on Gloria's finger. And then she's like, um, thanks. And it's, it's kind of weird. It's like on her pointer and it's this big ass like diamond. Gloria explains that she spent last semester in France and she forgot to fill out the housing form, which is why she's in this shitty dorm with a stranger. And I just like kind of, I'm like, you seem very rich. Like you would not be with a stranger at Hudson University. You'd be in an apartment. Like your parents would get you an apartment. But I guess we no, don't- but I think some parents want their kids to have a real experience. Because I remember Madonna's daughter went to like U, um, University of Michigan or something. And I think she was just in the dorms, like trying to be normal. Or sure. I'm lying fully. Yeah, no, that could be true. But like Michigan would be a good place to be in the dorms. It's not like there's like a city, like you're in New York City and you're rich. Like people at NYU only stay in the dorms for like one year. At my college- we were in the dorms all four years. We wanted Got to stay in the dorms. It. I get it. Like, we wanted it. Like, it's like, I'm in Hartford. I want to get an apartment. Not really, you know? Like, in New York, I feel like everybody wants to kind of, like, get out. But whatever. We're going with the story that she's in, like, you know, a fucking dorm with a stranger. And she says, 
All I know was about her is that she went out a lot and I have no clue where. She stayed out late and she would look like shit going to class. Then Finn, speaking of finding cash, I didn't even like, we didn't even set this up. Finn finds a fat stack of cash in this girl's like little dorm room closet. And she's like, I like the girl Gloria goes, I doubt it came from her parents. Like they're poor, ill. And they find a picture of Caroline and some dude and are like, oh, is this her boyfriend? And Gloria's like, no, that's her best friend. They just went to high school together. And he also goes to Hudson. So now we're walking and talking to Adam, the guy from the picture. And he's really broken up about Caroline dying. They've been friends since childhood. This actor is named Will Estes. Like the name is familiar. He has like such a forgettable face. Like I cannot memorize it. Like from scene to scene, I'm like, who is that? Like I have like prosopagnosia with this man, which is face blindness, what Brad Pitt has. Okay, I think you can take a drink because that's a wild word you just said. (laughs) Oh, because I tried to do a joke about it for a long time. Like Brad Pitt has prosopagnosia, which is face blindness. Like he says he can't remember people. And I'm like, I think you're just rich and don't care about memorizing people that aren't important. No, I think it's meeting a lot of people. I think if you, because I'm, I used to be so good at remembering everybody. Right. And I think with our line of work and like traveling and show you we do meet so many people that I've gotten worse at it. I have. Yeah. And it's also like Brad Pitt's so famous. So famous. No, at our meet and greets, I'm always like, you came to the show last time, right? And like half the time I'm right. And half the time they're like, nope, first time. (laughs) Like, I think I know people, but you know, also some people just have those faces. Anyway. I just never understood. But that's why it's more impressive when you hear about the Bill Clintons, the Tom Hanks, when they remember everybody. Everybody, yeah. For decades. Like, that truly is impressive because the amount of people Brad Pitt meets and what an effect he has on them, I can't imagine. I would say a million people a year. Yeah. Maybe that's crazy. Well, <laughs> this guy, Will Estes, I don't know if he meets as many people, but he is a regular on Blue Bloods. He's been on like 200 plus episodes of Blue Bloods. So if your mom's listening to the podcast, she probably knows who this guy is. I just hear Blue Bloods as a parent show. Anyway, they ask him about the money and he says, well, Caroline said she had a new job and they tell him, well, we found her in an area known for sex work. And he's like, no way, she would never. And he says he has no idea how she got the cash. Um, and they tell him they're going to bring him downtown and he caves immediately. And he's like, all right, all right. Caroline's been selling term papers. The school started an investigation and a professor named Dr. Farouk is leading the charge. Boom. Okay. That never happened when I went to college. Like people either just like cheated offline or whatever. You just like didn't buy a paper from someone else. But now talking to Dr. Farouk, who is, I mean, now with chat GPT, like I feel like professors are fucked. Like kids are just going to totally have everything written by a robot. But now we're talking to Dr. Farouk, who's explaining that plagiarism is an epidemic at Hudson. I'm like, you know what else is an epidemic at Hudson? Sexual assault. And you guys are doing, there is no investigation being launched. It's like so funny to me. She goes, the internet has only made it easier to buy and sell academic work. I mean, Dr. Farouk is not psyched about chat GPT if she's still working today. She um, shows them this program that she has that like, you know, probably borrows from AI, where she scans the papers and can find unoriginal material and patterns to find out who's plagiarizing. So she shows them like, see, these three students are an example and they've all cheated, but none of them wrote the original paper. And I just have to find out who did and I'll expel all of them. And so they ask her about Caroline. And she said, oh no, she took my class last semester. She's an excellent student. Her work is wholly original. She would never need to cheat. But like, I don't think she suspects that Caroline is the source of the cheating. Like she's the one giving the papers. Stabler's like, I need the three people's names who cheated. And I'm like, 
that's like really random. This one, like she's been selling them all over school. You need these three people's names. But anyway, it's kind of a reach for me, police work wise. But he shows up to a deli where some stoner is like singing the praises of pepperoncini. And his name is Mark Duffy. And he's like, I need to talk to you. And Mark looks nervous as hell. He's like in the middle of mayonnaising down a six inch and he looks really nervous. And so he's like, all right, I, I had bought one term paper from Caroline. Is that a is that a crime? And they're going through a bunch of different interviews here. You know, they're doing that thing where they cut to different people. So now we cut to this douchebag taking a break from playing squash. And I don't want to brag, but my alma mater, Trinity College, was the number one squash school for a really long time. That was like our claim to fame. It was like Trinity versus Stanford for best in squash. So crazy. Um, I don't even really fully understand how you play squash, but um, you hit a ball against a wall. So he explains that you just emailed Caroline your assignment, what you needed. She'd send you back two options. You pay for the one you like. And he's like, you just paid to a paymepronto.com account, which that sounds really lame, paymepronto.com. But in 2006, like we didn't really have uh, like Venmo or I mean, PayPal was probably a new thing. So kind of high tech that she's getting paid on paymepronto.com. And it was $200 a paper, which with inflation, you'd have to say now would be like 400, maybe 500. Now we're talking to some girl who's like, yeah, I'm pre-med. I don't have time to read the fairy queen and write about the imagery of virtue for some ridiculous English requirement. And I was like, LOL, that was my entire major. So hilarious. That's what I spent all the money on. Stabler tells this girl, well, Caroline was murdered. And then she gets like really quiet and goes, I gotta go. And Stabler's like, okay, you can't like act so obviously obvious in front of the cops. Like, why are you so spooked? And she goes, because of Brian. And explains that Brian Towsend is in Farouk's class two and bought a bunch of papers off of Caroline. He got really nervous when Farouk started investigating and said he was going to take care of the problem. So now we're at a bar with a pool table and this guy with a spiky flat top, flat on top hair is like, so I bought papers. It's not a crime. And Finn's like, well, Caroline was murdered. And he's like, I didn't kill her. I was going to bribe her. I offered her $1,000 to keep quiet. And she laughed in his face and started waving that huge diamond ring around and said it would take a lot more than a G to keep her ass quiet. And Finn's like, sounds like the ring Gloria was wearing. Ba, 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 making connections. And the guy's like, oh, Gloria's bought papers off Caroline. She's, she's bought more papers than anyone off Caroline. And she was freaking out about the investigation. So now, uh-oh, back to go talk to bitchy McBitchface. They bust into the lecture hall. It's like so, it's fluorescent lighting. It's full professor. Like I know that they shoot on location at an actual like lecture hall because it's so real. Like just that lighting when you're so hungover and you have to like listen to a professor talk. Like, oh, I was getting flashbacks. Um, so there's some professors droning on. Gloria looks bored as fuck. And then the cops just walk up to her and are like, we need to talk. And she's like, I'm not going anywhere. She is just like really fun to watch. Like she has no fear of cops or authority. She's like, what? Bye. I'm busy. Like, and Stable well, is like- Well, she's rich. Yeah, exactly. It's privilege. It's full privilege. And that's like why the episode's called Class. I feel like it's a double entendre. There's class college and there's class, like the different classes of all these kids. So Stabler's like, sweetie, I will arrest you here in front of everyone and take you out of here in cuffs. You want that? And she's like, ugh, fine. Big eye roll, goes with them. And Finn goes to the rest of the class. Sorry for interrupting. Stay in school. Amazing. I love a Finn telling everyone to stay in school. And so that's the end of act one is taking this little bitch out of her college class. So now at the top of act two, Gloria's in interrogation like, this is crazy. I would never kill anyone. The ring was just sitting on Caroline's dresser, so I borrowed it. Like, 
What do you care? And they're like, where were you last night? And she goes, acapella rehearsal, which I fucking love. Of course, this bitch does acapella. <laughs> like, of course. When I was in college, I actually tried out for the acapella group and I got a call back and went to an all day audition and then didn't get it. And I was devastated. I just want everyone to know that acapella has a real... It's a real trigger for me because I was very close, but I didn't get in. Um, and they like the, it was like the one all girl group that was like all gorgeous girls. Like Rachel Platten was in this like, acapella group, the the pop star. I mean, she's kind of a pop star. She was in Taylor's Gang for like five seconds, but she was in this one at my college. So of course she does acapella. She says, I didn't like Caroline, but I had no reason to kill her. And they're like, well, you were about to get expelled with this cheating scandal. And she's like, LOL, Hudson doesn't expel anyone. It's like, yeah, they've let so many rapists go back to lacrosse practice like nothing ever happened. I don't know why anyone thinks that anyone's getting expelled. Gloria explains like, yeah, high grades keep parents happy. Happy parents are big donors. Like the school doesn't really give a shit about cheating. Finn points out, oh, well, your family has a building named after you and a couple of wings and a hospital and a museum. See what I mean? A girl with a wing named after her at the college is not going to be in a dorm room with a stranger. Like she's going to call the school and go, give me my own like double and I'll live in it by myself. Um, her parents will, I mean. So if Caroline talked and you got kicked out of school, that would really fuck up your future. And she's like, do you guys honestly think I could kill Caroline? And I'm like, I guess you just don't know what they've seen because yes, they think that you could definitely kill Caroline. They go, why don't we just call the press? Call Hain heiress in murder investigation. And it's like, Oh, I wrote I wrote in my notes, plot hole, she's an heiress. Why would she be in campus housing? So obviously this was a big thing for me as I was taking my notes. And she goes, wait, wait, don't call anyone. So obviously the press thing does scare her a little bit. And Finn goes to check on her acapella alibi and Stabler's like, okay, tell me, what's up? Gloria starts to spill to Stabler that Caroline bragged about ripping off a rich, famous guy for the ring. All she said was that he'd wake up the next morning and miss it real bad. So now we're walking her out and she's like, I told you my alibi was good. And Finn goes, singing the Indigo Girls in five-part harmony, that's painful. Ah, oh, Finn! That is meant for you. That sentence is meant Finn, for you. That <laughs> sentence is meant for me. Like, put it on a t-shirt for me. I love that. Like, Wait, have you I, seen the video where it's like Sarah Paulson, Tignataro, all these people in a party bus going to the Indigo Girls concert or like home from it? No! And they're, all and they're all singing a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're all singing like Galileo or something. I love the Indigo Girls. Let me I've see if I can find like it. five times. I'm a big Indigo Girls fan. I watched them live during the pandemic and was like crazy crying because I was like, what's happening to the world? Like, I love the Indigo Girls and I love that Finn's like, fuck the Indigo Girls. So Stabler goes, well, listen, we might need to talk to you again, so don't hop on any flights to France. And she goes, mm, cop, comedian, is there anything you don't do? And it's like, yes, parent his children. But also this girl is so funny to me. I like love that she's just like tossing it back in Stabler's face. Finn tells Stabler he talked to some connects about the ring and it's a double D. It stands for, because Stabler goes, I think there's a different sizing system for rings, Finn. I don't think it's the same as tits. Like, it's such a stupid comment. And Finn's like, yeah, it's double D is Diamond Dove. He's an Israeli jeweler to the stars, which sounds like they're referencing Jacob the jeweler, who's like a famous jeweler who, you know, makes rings for athletes, rappers, famous people of all stripes. So if... Caroline was turning tricks. Maybe she stole the ring from a John, a rich and famous John. Maybe she set up a meet to return the ring. She shows up empty-handed. He loses control. And apparently this ring is worth about $100,000. If it's custom, 
D, Double D Diamond Dove can tell us who he made it for. So now we're at Diamond Dove's shop. He makes art, he says, and the celebrities around the world are his collectors. And he's not about to give the cops any personal information on any of his clients. And Stabler goes, why don't I call the IRS? And Dove's like, hold on a minute. Let me give you some personal information on my clients. Like immediately is like, let's chill out and folds. And he's like, I made this ring for a football player named Roddy Franklin. We cool? Cool. So Stabler and Finn both know exactly who Roddy is and they know all his playing stats. He's a wide receiver for New Jersey. New Jersey doesn't have an NFL team, but I guess the Jets maybe play in New Jersey. Anyway, he's got a thousand yards, nine touchdowns last season. You know, I don't care what any of this means. Um, they go to Roddy's house and the actor playing him is Matthew St. Patrick, who I recognize from Six Feet Under. He is, was... Michael C. Hall's boyfriend on that show in the first season, at least. Um, and his two sons are like playing football and spazzing in the living room. And they show him the ring and he's like, oh, where'd you find this? And he's like, I don't know, I must have lost it. I travel a lot. They say, where did you go two nights ago? And he says, I took the kids to their grandma's with my wife. He says he's never seen Caroline before when they show a picture. And now Finn is talking to the wife and she corroborates the grandma story. And she's like, Oh, the ring. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that thing got stolen. I told him it was dumb to buy a ring that costs more than our first home. And so back to Stabler and Roddy, and he's like, oh, okay, so she must have been the one who found my lost ring. Give me your name. I'll send her a reward. So Stabler goes, make it out to Caroline Pereira in care of the afterlife. He never stops workshopping jokes. Stabler tells him that she was murdered and that the ring is evidence in a homicide. You'll have to wait till we find the killer. Outside, Stabler talks to Finn, and we can tell we're outside like a mansion. We walk past a sports car. This guy's got money, money, money. And um, th they're like, this guy loses a rock worth 100K and doesn't report it. Like, they think maybe Franklin is Caroline's sugar daddy, and he's like, not telling them, obviously. Back at the 16th precinct, Cragen's like, all right, what do we know about this dude? And they're like, oh, he keeps a low profile after that thing that happened with a stripper a few years back. His wife caught him and bought, he bought his wife a diamond necklace that cost more than an aircraft carrier to make up for it. Maybe this was a mistake he couldn't afford. He had to make Caroline disappear. Stabler comes in with a lead. Caroline was in Atlantic City at the same time as Roddy a few weeks back. And that's a great place to take a mistress. People are discreet there. And I'm like, I don't think I think of the word discreet when I think of Atlantic City, but I guess in terms of, you know, affairs. Now they're in Atlantic City and the guy at the Hotel Del Mar tells them that Roddy is a frequent guest and recently was in town for a celeb poker tournament two months ago. The guy recognizes Caroline immediately and asks, oh, did he finally catch up with her? And they tell him, uh, well, she's dead. And he's like, I got something you got to see. So cut to them watching security footage of Caroline and Roddy gambling in a private high stakes room, high rollers only. Um, and he comes there, uh, he came there after this celebrity tournament that he was playing in. And they're like, what about Caroline? How'd she get in the game? And he goes, oh, She's down here every other weekend. Like, we comp her meals, her room. Like, she's a player. On the tape, they see Roddy betting his ring because he had a great hand, but then Caroline beats him with an even better hand. And then she puts the ring on, and in the video, she's in his face being like, na-na-na-na-na-na, I got your ring. Like, she's super taunting him, and he looks pissed. So they show up in the locker room now to talk to Roddy. He's got one of those leather jackets on that has, like, big fur trim, and he's, like, telling all his buddies some kind of big story. Everyone's listening to him in the locker room. And then they're like, we got to talk to you. So they all head outside, and they're like, Roddy, 
start talking. We've got you on tape with a girl you told us you didn't even know. Why did you lie to us? He goes, because I wasn't supposed to be there. The league has me on probation for gambling. I obviously am best friends with Amanda Rollins and I have a problem. They let him play in these charity tournaments because all the money goes to people in need. Like I can't keep any of the money. But then this girl fleeced me at the table. If the commissioner finds out about it, I'm going to get fined. I could get suspended. So he is nervous. And they're like, okay, well, a murder charge will also be bad. And he's like, no, no, no. I did not kill this bitch. And he goes, but I know who did. So he tells them it's got to be this guy who runs the underground poker game. Roddy was like, I tried to buy the ring back from Caroline, but she said I had to win it back. So I invited her to a private game in New York City, but she was a ringer. She was beating everyone. She became a regular. And he eventually figured that he would get his ring back at some point. So like, whatever. A couple nights ago, she had a streak of really bad luck and owed the house 150K. And the guy that runs the game said she had 24 hours to pay the money back or else. I don't really know if bookies like kill people. Like we did another episode about this where they were like, dead men don't pay their debts. Like you could kill someone, but you don't get your 150K back. So it's better to just like terrorize them and like threaten their family and stuff until they come up with the money, you know? But that's just what I've learned from SVU. I obviously am not a uh, in a professional gambling ring, though I could. I'm really addicted to gambling. This guy, his name is Riley. He, they, he says he's got ice water in his veins. It's like he could kill you and order out for pizza right after. He lives very close by to where they found Caroline's body. Cut to them raiding Riley's game. And it's hard to tell this, but Riley is played by an actor named Nick Sandow, who is Caputo from Orange is the New Black. You can't really tell because he has no facial hair. He just looks so different. Like he's kind of a man who, without a mustache, it's like a different face. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? This is a friendly social gathering. Nothing's going on. And they go, yeah, friends don't steal friends' life savings. And that's, Finn says that as he's cuffing Riley. Out in the alley, Stabler notices, check this out. There's a wall covered in red paint, like what was on Caroline's hands and under her nails when they found her body. So dun dun, maybe she was killed there. Cut to the holding cell and Riley is like, call my lawyer. You're going to pay for this, yada, yada, yada. He tells Finn to shove it up his ass and Finn is about to like maybe punch him through the bars when Daddy Cragen intervenes and goes, my office, which we all know what that means. In Cragen's office, there's a guy from the Secret Service and he goes, Riley's with us. And I'm like, the Secret Service? Like he's a federal agent named Doug Kirsten. That's who Caputo is. And they're like, he's been undercover targeting underground gambling clubs. Why would the Secret Service have anything to do with that? Like, was this just supposed to say FBI? I don't know. I thought the Secret Service was just to protect politicians and the president and his family and stuff. So I am confused about that. But then I think Finn goes, of all the gin joints in this city, we had to walk into yours, which is a twist on a quote from Casablanca. And you've got to give it to Finn. Indigo Girls, Casablanca. He's got all the cultural references. And this is a big Finn episode. Yeah. Stay in school. Indigo Girls. <laughs> you know, he assures them Doug Kirsten is not your killer. Like, he'll brief you guys, but we got to keep his cover because, like, this is a, you know, it's always like this is a three year operation. You can't blow it. So they do this whole charade where like they lead him out of the the precinct and they're talking shit to each other, walking him to the elevator. And then right before the doors close, he goes, atrium, 56th and 5th, 9 a.m. tomorrow. So now 
we're at this place in full public. I don't know why they're not in somewhere private, but we're walking and talking with the cops over coffee. He basically admits that he did dump the body. He says, one of my bouncers was there and he wouldn't believe that I would call the cops because like we're all criminals, you know? So he didn't want to blow a 15 month investigation. So he left her under the grate to try to preserve evidence and he doesn't feel good about it, but he was trying to like, you know, keep chain of custody and have her be found quickly, but not, you know, give up that he's a cop. So Caroline left the club. They heard yelling in the alley. He went to go check it out. They found her dead, the killer gone. So he tells them that Caroline also gambled online and that she had just been booted from a a website called pokerfastlane.com. Two good websites. Pay me pronto, pokerfastlane.com. You know, SVU always coming up with these good URLs. She got, and Finn goes, yeah, you get kicked off of those sites for cheating. And Kirsten goes, and, and he was like, how do you cheat online? And Kirsten's like, you cheat online the same way you do in real life. Two people sit at separate computers and they're working together. So Caroline had a silent partner. And with her dead and the partner a secret, the debt it disappears. And that's a hell of a motive to kill someone. So now Taru is taking us through the stats on Caroline's pokerfastlane.com account. And every time Caroline logged on, so did a user with the ID Jack King. And Stabler goes, well, that's gotta be a code name. It's like, good job, Stabler. Jack King, yes, definitely a code name on a poker site. He's gotta log back on at some point to try to score. So let's smoke him out, invite him to a game. But the invite has to come from someone who he knows. Let's have Riley do it cut to a private gambling party. Finn and Stabler are at the table undercover. They get a buzz for someone to be let in and it's Jack King. When he walks in, Stabler turns around and goes, hi, Jack, and immediately recognizes it's Adam. Done, done. Caroline's old high school bestie, this guy, Adam. They arrest him immediately for Caroline's murder. And he he immediately has this look on his face like, oh, how did I fall for this? It's like, well you kind of have a face like you'd fall for it. So anyway, at the precinct, suddenly Olivia is back in the picture. She's been gone at a doctor's appointment. This might be the season where she's pregnant. I think it actually is. You know, I've been falling asleep to SVU again. And you know what sucks when you fall asleep to a Benson and then you wake up and it's Danny Beck's voice and you're like, get the fuck (laughs) out of my life, bitch. What the hell happened here? <laughs> we have to decide if we actually want to get that woman on the podcast. We talk so much shit. But I mean, we can ask her, like, do you know people hate your character and how do you feel about that? <laughs> I know. She must That's have our- an inkling. Yeah. <laughs> um at the precinct, suddenly Olivia's back from a doctor's appointment. I guess she was pregnant this season. She's been gone the whole episode since the very beginning. Now she's back and she's got a little download on Adam's life. She's like, he doesn't come from much. He's from the same like LaGrange, whatever. We don't know what state that is from working class parents. No rap sheet. Olivia's like, why'd you ask me to dig up the sob story on this guy? Don't we usually leave that to the defense attorneys? And Stabler's like, I know there's more to Adam than just murdering his best friend to cover a debt. So then, you know, this is one of the things where Stabler takes interest in a particular like, you know, straight white man who needs his help. So he goes in to talk to Adam and he says, I can tell when a good kid gets pulled into a bad thing. And he says, Caroline and I were BFFs for life. They just wanted to get the hell out of LaGrange. And he said, when they got to Hudson, it was more bullshit. They were just poor kids from the boonies there, washing dishes, serving meals. Caroline couldn't take it. She started selling term papers. And that's when they started their poker partnership. He goes, we'd work different clubs. We'd switch and trade info about the regulars. And the money just rolled in. Caroline paid her tuition. Adam said, he used the money for the good life, clubs, restaurants, concerts, hanging with the rich kids. He's like, I wasn't invisible anymore. It was like, 
I had a whole new life. And then he says, and then it was like, Caroline screwed it up. And he's like, I told her to take things slow, not to be greedy. She wouldn't listen to me. He was going to lose everything. She dug them in a hole so deep. I knew he would never get out. And he just did not want to go back to being invisible. And he says, it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. And Stabler goes, you need a lawyer. So, you know, usually Stabler's like, give me that confession, baby. But this time he's really trying to help this kid. So now we're at Novak's office. She does not have the time of day for Stabler. She is also extremely blonde. I think she has to get to a highlighting appointment because she is the blondest I've ever seen her. He goes, just give me one second. He goes, I just want you to go easy on this kid. I think he's a good kid. And like, will you please plead him out? And she's like, "Um, he confessed to murder. Like, why would I do that? I'm Casey Novak. And Stabler's like, I have a soft spot for poor kids who have to run with the rich dogs. And Stabler's like, Casey, you and I were both poor. You get it. I don't think I knew that. I don't think I remember Casey coming from like hard, hard beginnings or whatever. And Casey's like, yeah, I waited tables in law school and I served my classmates. It sucked, but I didn't kill anyone. And at least make sure he gets a good public defender, he says. And she goes, I'll make a call. So now we're in court and the guy who walks in to represent Adam is an actor named Joey Slotnick. I don't know if you know him, but he famously is in Nip Tuck as a guy named Boblet. Like whenever I see this character, I go Boblet, like, cause it's such a weird name. And that's like who this guy is to me. I think it's only six episodes of Nip Tuck, but he's a wild, like he's got like one of these faces like that you just remember. And he was also a regular series regular on the single guy with our friend of the pod, Jonathan Silverman. So I saw that he's like, he's on the cover of the show poster. And um, he's playing a lawyer named Walter Camp, clearly pricey because Casey is shocked to see him. And he's like, I'm doing this case pro bono. He actually knows Adam from the poker clubs. So now in court, it's Queen Lena Petrovsky presiding. And this guy, Walter, enters a plea of not guilty for Adam by reason of mental disease or defect, claiming it's gambling addiction. Now Casey's talking to Walter and he she's like, your defense is bullshit. And Walter's like, 2% of this country are gambling addicts. Casey's like, I'm not buying it. He goes, if one juror has a gambler in their but lives- 2%'s not even that much, is it? 2%? Well, I guess 2% of this country is like 2 million people. Spread across the whole country. Yeah. Like, the chances of someone on the jury. Like, I just don't think it's that big of a number. But then, but. like, a main character on this show is a gambling addict a few seasons later. Like, you know, so I guess his, his thing is like... You got me. Yeah, I mean, his thing is like, if one person even knows a gambling addict, like you know, they'll hear my witnesses and you'll lose. So let's just plead him down. And Casey's with you. Casey's like, fuck that. There probably won't be. Like, don't, I've got this guy dead to rights. So forget it. First up on the stand now, we're in court, is a member of the Hudson University Card Club. And he's this dork. He only places small bets and Adam wanted bigger pots. He thought Adam was out of control and addicted. And he was trying to take money from people that they didn't have. On redirect, Walter establishes that Hudson pays for the card club, so they might be responsible for hooking Adam on poker. Like, yeah, let's get Hudson. They have deep pockets. Let's sue them. The kid on the stand tells them how one time Adam lost a bunch of hands and went full Teresa Judice, flipped the table. They had to call security. Apparently, that witness is makes a big impression on the jury because Walter goes to Casey, you should have taken the plea. And Casey's like, no, he wasn't high when he killed her. He was fully in control. And Walter is like, 
you obviously don't get gambling addiction. And then he opens up about his own story. He goes, I lost $30,000 in one night playing poker. I tried to recoup the next night and I lost 40,000 more. My wife jammed my laptop down the garbage chute and made me get counseling, but I kept playing. What finally got him to stop was that loan sharks broke his leg. And he's like, and Casey's like, okay, sure. But you didn't kill your wife to pay the loan sharks with insurance money. You never lost your mind and like resorted to violence. And this is interesting because you know what this reminds me of? An episode of Ice T's podcast that I, Ice T got the best guests on his podcast. And he has an episode where he talks to a guy who lost like, I think a million dollars in a summer or something crazy, just gambling and like spending it on crazy shit. So if you want to check that out, that's part of the final level Ice T's old podcast. So now, Casey and Stabler are in a walk and talk with Huang and Stabler thinks Walter is a snake oil salesman. And Huang argues, no, Casey, this is serious. Gamblers lose it all. They bring their families down too. Gambling addicts are just chasing that dopamine rush the same way as a drinker or a drug user. Stabler's not buying this shit. Huang, as usual, is asking what we're all thinking. Like, what's going on with you and this kid to Stabler? <laughs> like, what, what's happening? What's your connection? And Stabler now takes us down memory lane where he's like, I was 19 working at my uncle's bar. These two rich punks jumped me. They had spit in my face earlier because I wouldn't serve them. They had no ID. And he busted one of the kids over their head with a glass bottle and he almost died. I'm like, from a glass bottle? Okay, well, how aggro did you get, Stabler? He goes, I got arrested later because it turns out the kid's dad was a lawyer in this white shoe law firm and who knew people in the DA's office, but my dad was a cop and called a favor in from an old academy buddy and made the whole thing go away. So it's like, so you're both privileged. You had cop privilege and he had like DA privilege. Like you both, like it seems like, I don't know. I don't know, get Stabler's thing. It's like, you still got out of it. It didn't like ruin your life. And Huang's like, he goes, that was more than self-defense. Like you were pissed at these kids. And he goes, they spit in my face like I'm trash? No. And Stabler sees himself in Adam. He gets how he felt. And Huang suggests that Casey point to Adam's anger about with this whole thing. Show them that when he strangled Caroline, it was about rage and not about addiction. So now in trial, Casey's questioning Adam. And you know, I forgot who it was because I can't remember this guy's face, but it's Adam. He says the night that she died, Caroline called him and told him about the 150K and that she was going to tell Riley he owed half. Like Caroline sounds like, not to speak ill of the dead, but like you got in 150K playing. You, you taunted a football player. Why are you bringing this poor kid down? And he goes, they started arguing. She pushed him. He pushed her back against the wall. She fell. He tried. She tried to get back up, but he just kept pushing her down. She screamed, and he's like, I had to shut her up, so I put my hands around her neck. And he said his head was spinning. He was squeezing tighter and tighter. There was a bright flash. I must have strangled her. It was all a haze. It was an accident. So he's kind of playing the whole... I saw red, I blacked out defense that we've seen a ton of different defendants do on this show before. Stabler passes Casey a note and Casey asks Adam about the ring she was wearing when he killed her. And he says, yeah, she was wearing it, the diamond ring. And Casey goes, what's your relationship to Caroline's roommate, Gloria Culhane? And he hesitates, but he admits, Gloria is my girlfriend. Now Walter asks for a recess and Casey asks Stabler, how did you know? So now we cut to Stabler taking a picture of himself with Caroline's like sidekick phone from like, you know, 2006. And Casey and Stabler are in interrogation with Gloria. Casey points out that the glare of the ring is what caused that orb photo, that orb in the photo that they found on her phone. The same way that it does in this picture that Stabler just took of himself 
And the picture that is, it's from the picture Caroline took of Adam right before he killed her. So the glare means Caroline was wearing the ring when she died. And so how did the ring go from Caroline's hand to Gloria's hand? Like she said it was on the dresser. Now we're talking to Gloria and she goes, I wouldn't call Adam my boyfriend, but he did give me the ring. And she's so smirky to Stabler, it's wild. And Casey wants to know, how did a poor kid like Adam get a girl like you? And she goes, he earned it. He took me out, treated me like a queen that I am. And I live a certain lifestyle. If he wanted to have me, he had to give me what I needed. Casey goes by whatever means necessary. And Gloria gives this like really great, amazing bitchy, like whatever. It's like straight out of Clueless. But they, they're they like, Caroline bankrupted this poor kid. Did you tell him that you'd stay with him if he was poor? Or did you tell him to go kill Caroline? She goes, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, this is a good episode because I don't really know. Like, I don't really know how much Gloria was involved. Like, was she right there when it happened? Or did she just say be a doll and go kill this girl so that you can still be afford to be my boyfriend? Or was she just like, bitch, if you don't have money, I'm out. And that's what prompted him. Like, who knows? Casey gets a light bulb and goes, he's not addicted to gambling. He's addicted to you. She goes, is that so hard to imagine? And then she goes, Adam made his own mistakes and he was enraged. And then we cut to Gloria from her enraged statement, fully on the stand, narking on Adam, who is obsessed with her. She goes, Adam texted me that night when I was at acapella rehearsal to meet him outside. And she said, I met him out there and he was in a state. Adam is like, Gloria, please stop. And Petrovsky's like, you better shut your fucking mouth, young man. Casey goes, did Adam say he was going to hurt Caroline? And then Gloria takes a second, looks at Adam, decides she doesn't give a fuck and says, he said he might have to. And Adam goes, I love you. Don't do this. Petrovsky's had enough. She's like, one more outburst and I will kick your ass out. And Gloria said that Adam said, if Caroline couldn't keep her mouth shut, he'd shut it for her. And it sounded like his mind was made up. Cut to the verdict, obviously guilty. Gloria's testimony was very damning. As he's leaving, he turns to Gloria and he's like, how could you do this to me? And she's like putting on her pea coat. She goes, you did this to yourself. Like she is fucking, I was thinking to myself, ice queen. And then just then Casey goes, that was cold. And then Stabler goes, they're like, you had a hand in this. And she's like, my hands are clean. And then Stabler arrests her for stealing the ring, a class C felony, which would get her 15 years in prison. Adam stole it. Casey says, you knowingly possessed it. She goes, this is insane. And Stabler goes, they don't allow diamond rings in prison, babe. You're going to have to settle for silver bracelets. And then off of Casey Novak's face, it's Dick Wolf, baby. But my thing is, this bitch is rich. She doesn't have a record. Her parents are going to get her Cindy Lauper's husband or Buchanan. She's going to get off on probation at most. Like, there, oh, she's yeah, not going to see a day of jail time. She can be like, he gave me the ring. Like, what does that have to do with that? Like, I mean, I guess her testimony proves that she knew that it came from a person that was killed. But still, like, it, like it's she's not going to see jail, this girl. Like, her parents own a hospital and or, like, have donated hospitals and wings of colleges. That just doesn't happen to those. You have to be an actual, like, murderer to see, I think, even a tiny bit of justice. And even then, not really. Anyway, that's that. Kind of a crazy episode that I always remember from its original time. And I can't wait. I know nothing about these real cases that you research, so I'm very excited to hear about them. Fantastic. Listen to our ads, babies. We'll see you in a second. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so there's a a baby crime and a big crime. So split into two. And this one's kind of fun, I would say. It's the Elizabeth Page Lori cheating scandal. And like I said, it's fun. This is a USC scandal before the rowing Aunt Becky Laughlin situation. And it involves a Walmart (laughs) heiress. So that's exciting. But why do all these rich girls need to go to USC? Like, I don't understand why it's like the place to be. I know. It's you really know about weird. universities. You're the stabler of college. So. Well, like, I will say my co-yearbook editor went to USC, but I think she, like, it is a good school, but I think she just wanted to get the fuck out of the East Coast. So she just, like, went out there. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Californians, but I feel like UCLA is better, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. In my mind, UCLA is a more competitive school to get into than USC, but I could be totally wrong. I never understood why Aunt Becky did all that shit because, like, they're actually, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's that hard to get into USC. But anyway, maybe I'm I wrong. don't think I would be able to get in. So no shade if people got in and they're <laughs> smart. Like I would, I don't think I would have gotten into USC. But I just like a Walmart heiress. I guess. Yeah, like <laughs> I would see you bribing to get into Yale, get into Harvard. Like I don't know. I I don't. I the bribes were like it's. But maybe USC. Honestly, when you look at the stats, is just as hard to get into. Who knows? Because it's a California school. It could be a lot of people. We're a more populous state. Maybe more people are applying. Who fucking knows? Don't come for me, USC grads. Trojans. Go Trojans. <laughs> no, it's cool. And I like that it's near our neighborhood and stuff. Like, it's not far from us. But I just, I was just shocked, you know, all my growing doctors, and then I, All my doctors are there. I go to all my doctors at USC. Love USC. So yeah, this Walmart, you know, heiress, Elizabeth Page Laurie, she retur- She had to return her degree. Wow. After, yeah, after it came out that she paid a fellow college student $20,000 to do her homework. <laughs> so amazing. Wow. Elena Martinez was um, her freshman year roommate and told 2020 that she had written term papers and done assignments for the heiress for three and a half years. Martinez said that she joined the ROTC to earn money for college, but still had to drop out because she couldn't afford tuition at USC. But then she was able to learn a lot by doing this rich girl's homework. So even though she wasn't enrolled in university anymore, she got to learn by doing like this rich kid's work. Wow. Um, But in Rich Girl News, there was a stadium named after her at the University of Missouri that her billionaire parents named after her after donating $25 million towards the construction of this stadium in Missouri. Wow. Um, But also, like, Page Sports Arena sounds insane. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's any better. It's, like, named after a girl from Summer House. Yeah. Uh. Um, and the New York Post called Elizabeth Page Laurie a discount store dunce and a disgraced dumbbell. So that's all. That it's quick, like I told you. A baby little, a little well, You know that like the Walmart family too, like somebody, one of them killed someone in a car accident and they got out of it. Like they, the Walmart family. 
Listen, I have a book that shit. says Walmart ruined America. I did read it in my early 20s and it did, you know, I, I was annoying. I think when after I read it, I had a lot of opinions. <laughs> but yeah, like Walmart employees are the number one users of like social services from the government and yeah. welfare and food stamps and all this stuff because they refuse to pay people, refuse to give insurance. A national, like a living wage. They're like a brick and mortar Amazon. Like they make companies sell at the cheapest rate and then put all these other businesses out of business. You know, like yeah. Walmart's the original Amazon. Yeah. So, but I think, oh no, there's one good Disney rich girl. I feel like one of the heiresses of Disney is like, Money is evil and I hate all my siblings. So, you know. You, okay, I, I also want to say one quick thing. Is like I now tell. I'm on- uh, you're, Now you're on US. I knew this was going to torture you. Knew you knew I was doing this, right? Okay. I'm I on knew US- you would be tortured, yes. Yeah, I'm tortured. <laughs> I'm on US News and World Report, which I think is a little bit bullshit because I think a lot of these colleges pay for their rankings on this. But actually, like- USC is number 25 and it's right under Michigan, which I consider to be an amazing school. And also, but then it's also under NYU, which I think of NYU as a great school, but not necessarily, not the smartest kids from my school did not go to NYU. Like it was kids that wanted to do arts and stuff. Like that's, that's like what it's for. But like, I'm surprised that it goes Georgetown, NYU, Michigan, USC. That's not what it was like when I was going to school, but this shit changes all the time. Like USC's over UVA. In my mind, UVA is like such a good school. And on this list, University of Florida is over Chapel Hill in North Carolina, which I think of as also an amazing school. So, and Tufts and Wake Forest and all these schools. So I don't know. What do I know? I'm oh, judging well, from yeah, one of 20... Talia's friends, I think who actually listens to the pod. What's up, girl? She's going to Wake Forest. That's where my brother David went. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, David really loved Wake. He really loved it. It's beautiful down there. I went to the graduation and I saw Biden speak. Actually, Biden spoke at two of my brother's graduations. Georgetown um, as an outsider, like, seems very fancy. It is. I I wanted to go to Georgetown and I I applied because my other friend, Kara, got in and was like, just apply. It would be so fun to go together. And I was like, I'm never going to get in. And then I didn't. But I applied and I went there on the tour and they go, raise your hand if you're from the Northeast. And like almost all of us raised our hands and they were like, that's going to be really bad for you guys. That's what they said to us like before we went out on the tour. (laughs) They were just like, most of you like all apply from the Northeast and like we're just not going to take like as many kids from that area because we want diversity, which makes sense, but it's it's hard to get into Georgetown. And I just- well, I don't I have to be diverse is. anymore. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, but I was right though. Berkeley and UCLA are above USC on this list. They're 19 and 20, or no, they're tied for 20. Okay. So this is pretty sad. The Jennifer Cave case. So Jennifer was a 21-year-old who moved from Corpus Christi to Austin, Texas. And she, you know, struggled with drugs and really battled with her addiction. So that is uh, true. And then Bill Bishop, the prosecutor in this case, said, I've never heard anyone say anything but that she was one of the nicest people they knew. Um, so she was nice and she loved to party. Uh, Colton Petoniak, he's was 22 at the time and was her friend and drug dealer. And then Laura Hall was Colton's girlfriend. Colton Petoniak and Lauren Hall were dating and they met at a party in spring of 2005. And Hall said that she loved Colton and was very attracted to him from the start and thought he was sexy and hot. But then according to CBS News, they uh, she said, it was great. I felt like I was on top of the world when I was with Colton until you know Colton. You can't see on the surface that there's something wrong underneath. 
But then other people say it did appear from the outside that the relationship was very one-sided and that she was obsessed with him and he did not return the vibe at all. But nobody can be certain of this, but this is just like from the findings from the trial prep. So those who knew Jennifer were clear that her and Colton had never dated, never been on a date, and nobody reported that they ever tried passing as a couple. Drugs was like their only connection. On the night of August 16th, 2005, she was super excited about her new job at an Austin law firm. It was, um, it started out as a one day filing job, but then the firm liked her so much that they offered her a full-time position starting the next day. So that's super exciting. She spoke to her mother, roommate, and ex-boyfriend that she, like, she was in her pajamas at 8.30 p.m. and she was going to go to bed because she really was like excited to start work the next day. But then around 9.30 p.m., she spoke to a friend, Michael Rodriguez, and told him that she was going to go out with her friend Colton, who she said was having a hard time and some problems, and she wanted to be there for him. But she also wanted to go out and celebrate a little bit, like getting this new job. So she went out on 6th Street in Austin, Texas with Colton. We've been there together, Kara. Yes. I've gotten a tattoo on 6th Street at 2 in the morning. (laughs) I would not recommend, not recommend. Um, her friend Michael said that he got a call from Jennifer at 12.08 in the morning of August. I, nothing is worse to me than like something a.m. being the morning of the other day yeah. and not the, the <laughs> night of that day. Like, I know people have missed flights because of this. Jared, missed like, a, Jared was supposed to do the gathering of the Juggalos and we fucked up because his show was at midnight and we fucked up the day and the flights and he missed it. But honestly, kind of a blessing. <laughs> No, the Juggalos I hear are, you know, the supportive family. No, they like, they're the the kids who get bullied. They're known as like a real family. Like there's documentaries. There's a movie called Family with Taylor Schilling actually in it that I saw wildly at like a festival years ago. But like Colts, the wrestler, Colt Cabana does Juggalo shit. And they well, like take they care of him. each other. I'm sure they love Colt. I just wasn't sure that they were going to like love the comic stylings of Jared Logan. And I was nervous they were going to like throw Fago cans at him. <laughs> we should do a Fago taste test um, and tape that because I've never had Fago. <laughs> Me neither. Or Doritos. Maybe that's some content. Let's make some content. Yes. Oh my God. We're- okay, let's do it. We're getting a YouTube channel, guys. And we're going to taste sodas we've never <laughs> tasted before. <laughs> We're going to take over the internet. Um, okay. So, and we live next to Gelco's soda shop. So we can oh get all Oh my these, God. I'm we sure. can taste some crazy shit. We could go clearly Canadian, take it back to the 90s. Yeah. Okay. So her friend, um, Mike, like I said, okay. So at 12.08, midnight 08 in the morning. No, it's nighttime, bitch. It's still midnight. Yeah. But August 17th, 2005. And Michael said she did not seem afraid or anxious. And she's like, I'll call you back. And then an hour later, he spoke to her again and she told him that Colton was angry and drunk and she yelled at him while he pissed on a car. (laughs) So the next afternoon, Jennifer's mother, Sharon Cave, got a call from her new employer around 3 p.m. who let her know that she never showed up to work that morning. Sharon was frantic and started making calls immediately and then contacted T-Mobile. What's up? And getting... And so... She called T-Mobile to get the phone activity of her daughter and then started calling the people that she last was, like, speaking to. And then when they called Colton, he was cagey as hell. And Sharon's fiancé, Jim Sedgwick, said that at one point he said, hey, dude, I'm eating pizza. Don't bother me anymore. Quit calling me. And that's according to CBS News. And it's like, 
that's your friend. Like what? That's yeah. so that's fucked shady. up and cold. Yeah. So at one point, the mom had Michael on her office phone and Colton on another phone. And Michael could call out Colton's lies. So after he denied knowing anything or seeing her, like not be- seeing her, and Michael was like, that's not true. I talked to her. Like, she saw Colton last night. She just knew something was wrong. So she drove from Corpus Christi to Austin and tried getting into Colton's apartment. And then they also saw Jennifer's car nearby. And, you know, the mom had a pit in the stomach. Like, she knew something was off. And the drive is, you know, not quick. So they tried knocking, but there was no answer. So then around 8 p.m., they call the police, but the police had to go get a search warrant before entering the apartment, which is so annoying to me. Um, but you know, I guess that's good. Okay. So, and so Jim was like, fuck that and entered through a window and he kept the mom outside because he was scared about what he might find. So he entered and he did find the body of Jennifer. This is gruesome. So Jennifer was found in Petoniak's bathtub in his apartment on August 18th, 2005. They called 911 and then, you know, the police like started, like raced back and then began their search for Colton. And they had to physically, so Jim Sedgwick had to physically restrain Sharon from entering the apartment. And inside, so she was shot dead. The bullet went into her arm and then traveled into the chest through the heart and it killed her instantly. She was also stabbed numerous times And the most horrific was her hands and head had been cut off and were in plastic bags on the bathroom floor. So thank God the mom did not enter that apartment and did not see that. But this definitely put me on a spiral of what a horrible way to find people. Like, you know, dead is dead. Of course, it's like so sad anyways. It's your child. But like, no, dismembering. Are you fucking kidding me? Is so gruesome and horrible. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh my god! Really Actually, can't. I've been catching up on um, Stabler Show, uh, organized crime, and like at the beginning of this ep- of this episode, this woman like is in her house and her husband's not home, and she goes downstairs. She's carrying a baseball bat, and she sees something in her dryer going ba boom, ba boom, ba boom in her dryer. And when she opens the dryer, it's her husband's head. That was just in the dryer with the laundry. That's like, Fuck. that reminds me of like um, Breaking Bad style decapitations. Yeah, 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 yeah. With, Breaking uh, Bad shit. The, honestly, when you said this is gruesome, when you said this is gruesome, my mind immediately went to like the acid bathtub of Breaking Bad. Like I, when I think of like getting rid of bodies in gross ways, I'm like Breaking Bad immediately. Oh, the, the decapitation reminded me of, um, what's his name? Trejo on the tortoise oh. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to rewatch that show so bad. But anyways, this is real life. It's fucked up. I'm so glad that, like, the fiancé was adamant about... The mom not coming in, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure he's haunted forever. So later the Emmy said there was also a shot that had been fired through her severed neck and into her brain. Oh, my God. Like, they were just fucking around. Well, so this motherfucker fled to Mexico with Hall and they spent five days there until they were picked up by the U.S. Marshals and returned their asses back to Texas. So this is the evidence that started to come in. So um, Petoniak cell phone records show that he contacted his girlfriend Hall right after 3.30 a.m. on August 17th. And then there's another phone call at 6 a.m. So something happened to Jennifer between 1.30 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. That afternoon, he went to a hardware store and purchased a hacksaw, garbage bags, cleaning products, and rubber gloves. 
While he was doing that, Lauren drove her green Cadillac to a gas station where she filled up the tank and washed the car. He also found time to stop at Burger King, according to receipts found. So this is a stone cold killer. Like you're just eating a Whopper. Like that's so crazy. Yeah. Um, or one of their long John sandwiches. So they took <laughs> Hall's car to Mexico 16 hours after the murder. So they just gave up on the trying to hack her up. They were just like, uh-oh, they know they're calling us. Let's go. Yeah, I'm going to get, they like, that's what's weird is like, they didn't do anything they started. You're right. Like, yeah. it's, they didn't. And you guys <laughs> think you're really going to like avoid capture in Mexico? Like, adorable. Like, you're too dumb. You you're have receipts. Dumb. You yeah. went to the store and bought a hacksaw. Like, ugh. But the question as to why this happened has never been answered. Because Petaniak testified in court that he doesn't remember killing her because of the drugs and alcohol, but it must have been him. Uh, but it's so convenient. He does not remember anything except the parts where he blames Hall for everything. <laughs> and that's when the memory is clear. So his whole thing is like, fuck, I was fucked up. I don't remember anything. But I do remember that she was in charge of the dismemberment and this, and that was her idea. So very convenient. He remembers nothing but to blame someone else for other stuff. Laura also says that Colton told her that he had been drinking and didn't remember what happened. So in one of those phone calls, he was like, I have no idea, like, what happened. Which, that reminds me of a, um, that episode with Scott, whatever. Hammered. Isn't that his name? Yeah. Hammered. Yeah. So it reminds me of Hammered, where he was Scott like, Foley. I have no clue. Scott Foley. Yeah. Thank you so much. He was at the tail end of a days long bender when he met up with Jennifer Cave. And he remembers the night of the 16th passing out. But then he remembers waking up early on the 17th and he found the her body in the bathtub. Um, he called Hall in a panic who came up with a great plan for dismembering the body, which she, of course, denies and said it was his idea and that she made the list of items they needed. And he said that he paid for the items, but he did not cut up the body and said that it was Hall's idea to go to Mexico. So they're just turning on each other. And I don't think we'll actually ever know like yeah. what happened, but they both suck. So while they're on the run, Hall, which is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So while they're on the run, Hall's parents, Lauren and Carol, are trying to reach their daughter. And their thought is like, oh my God, this guy has my daughter. And he apparently like killed and mutilated this other person. And he has our daughter. So yeah, the parents of Lauren Hall don't realize that their daughter is involved. They just are like, oh, he's with, they're with the killer. We have to find my, our daughter. Um, they did get a hold of her finally. And she left that, she let them know she was in Mexico with Colton and they feared that he was going to kill her. Hall maintained her innocence and said that she was at the home but did not help and did not call the cops because she was scared. She maintains the Olivia Benson of like, I did whatever I needed to do to stay alive, which included driving him. She said she was shocked. Um, he just let her go. And then she went home, but like she like was still in denial. She said she came over to the house without knowing anything was wrong. She said she arrived before dawn on August 17th, 2005. He'd called her saying he needed to talk. She continued to CBS News that in quotes, he answered the door really kind of paranoid and fearful. And I'm kind of like sitting up. Colton, what's the deal? What's going on? I'm kind of starting to freak out a little bit. And he says, come here, come here. And she says that then he led her into the bathroom and there was a dead woman curled up in the bathtub. She then... um says that she asks if that's a mannequin. And it's like, are you a fucking idiot? Yeah. What mannequin curls up? Curls dumb up. Dumb cunt. <laughs> I, I don't buy this. Like, I just, 
I, I don't know. This is sad. He's like, nah, man. And said that she came over in the morning and cut up the body. So her attorney, um, Joe James Sawyer, of course, was like, she did not dismember the body and that her only crime is that she loves Petoniak too much and that she was just trying to protect herself from any harm from Colton. She says she regrets not testifying, though. So now you guys can decipher how you feel about this. So Hall's DNA was found on three items. One of Cave's sandals found near the bathtub a blue shop towel found on the coffee table and the pistol used to shoot cave. Uh Oh, Petaniak's DNA without Laura's was found on the buck knife, a machete, which was found in the apartment's dishwasher, which is also very SVU to me. And uh, the hacksaw that was left resting on top of cave's body. But I think it's damning that her DNA was found on the pistol. Yeah. I don't know. Unless she picked up the gun to go clean it and then fucking forgot because these people don't finish anything they start. Like, I don't know. He also, like, they. this was some evidence they used. He, like, had wannabe gangster vibes. Like, he had Scarface posters, gangster movies, and he had tons of movies that involved dismemberment, one of which a machete was used for dismemberment. And on his coffee table was a Sopranos DVD where Tony Soprano dismembers a murder victim in a bathtub, then removes his head and sticks it in a bowling bag, bowling ball bag. Damn. So was he watching it while they were wasted, got the idea? Did he watch it in the day and was like, I'm going to kill this girl? Did he watch it after? Did he pop it in to figure out how to do it? But it is, it could be circumstantial, but that to me is damning that like the Dismemberment Sopranos episode is in the DVD player. Yeah. His screen names were also C-Money and I Love Money and Hoes. I'm just trying to give you a full picture of this. Yeah, of who this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Um, all small-time drug dealers are all, like, into Scarface and this gangster shit, too. Like, they think that they're, like, living some kind of life. Yeah. So Colton's car was parked in its regular spot with a gun inside. Prosecutors from Travis County um, were Bill Bishop and Stephanie McFarland, and they had a hard time with not straightforward— like, it's not a straightforward case— They have physical evidence, but they're just, like, all really confused by the motive. Yeah, like, why did they do this? No one knows. No one knows. It could have just been, like, she said something he didn't fucking like, and he just shot her because he was so fucked up. Like, because she said she was yelling at him when he was pissing on a car. Maybe she was like, you need to get your life together. And he was like, shut up, mom. And, like, you know, who knows? Maybe something triggered him, and he just, like, shot her. But they built um, intent by piecing together conversations that Hall was having in the months after the murder. So, like, Hall stood by his side from September 2005 when she was arrested until the trial in January 2007. And then at the trial, she stopped supporting him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they chatted with her cellmate because she was being held during um, the in-between of the trials. And it like it did count for her time served and stuff. But Henrietta Loggenbach said that this is the cellmate. This is also very SVO. So the cellmate said that she talked about the mutilation plan and that she came up with it, but they had to abandon it. And that she's also like said, what's the big fuss? Cave is a nobody and a nothing. Who cares? Ugh. So 
that's telling. Again, that's my word of the episode. Um, and then I guess she also told the cellmate, one day I'm going to tell my grandkids about this and how I dismembered the body. Lagenbach was in jail for fraud, so her credibility was in question. There was also information that came from Nora Sullivan, who's Colton's neighbor. She testified that Hall had told her that after Petoniak shot Cave, he just chilled in the living room drinking beer and watching TV instead of using the tools he bought. And she was really annoyed by his laziness and was trying to vote, motivate him to finish the job. Oh my God. So that's what's wild. They did all this fucked up shit to the body, like you mentioned, Kara, but then made no effort to hide the body or get rid of the body. Ooh. Their jury deliberated for two days. Petoniak was convicted in 2007 of the murder and was sentenced to 55 years in prison. He tried to appeal in 2015 and it was denied. Stay in jail forever, you dumb bitch. Yeah. So Laura was not arrested in the beginning. Um, but then the police, when they just questioned her, she was so not cooperative that that was what was like fucked up. So the police say that she was like, oh, I just thought we were going on vacation and going to Mexico. Like I had no idea about anything. Colton's a great guy and he didn't do it. She also admitted to lying about that eventually. But that's again. Yeah. Why would you, you thought you were going to Mexico, but then later we're like, oh no, he did call me and I knew and I saw the body, yeah. like what's going yeah. on? And then the neighbor was like, you were bitching about him. But then she's like, oh, I just thought we were going to Mexico for fun. She also um, said that he let her go and she had every chance to tell the cops, a friend, a mom, like her mom, anybody. But instead she just ran errands before they went to Mexico. Wow. So I guess he was like, okay, get out of here for a bit. I'll see you later. And so it's like, if you did feel bad about anything, you could have told so many people. But baby, I just don't believe that he, but he is crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Because I don't want to blame someone, you know, it's the thing we learned from the Colleen Stan case. Like we can't expect people to act normal in abnormal circumstances, but shady. She also, um, post-Mexico, got a fucking tattoo of his name on her leg because she just loved him so much and thought he was innocent. But weren't you there? I don't know. Laura Hall was convicted for her role in the killing and dismemberment of Jennifer in 2007. The charges were for hindering apprehension and tampering with evidence and helping Petoniak in a cover-up and then driving to Mexico. Hall was released from prison on Thursday, March 15th, 2018 at 10.30 a.m. at 34 years old. And I so. bet she writes to that guy in fucking prison every day. <laughs> I mean, I just wish, like, I I'm so all about the why. I'm like, why? What the fuck happened? Like, he didn't say, like, you know, like, he, I, I don't know. He didn't say at all why he fucking did that. I mean, I guess people just do crazy things when they're fucked up, but. Um, but let's move to our guests because we have an awesome guest today. And thank you for telling us all of the info on those two crimes and that very gruesome one. And we'll be right back. Okay, guys, time for our guest interview. And just want to reiterate what I said up top in the intro, which is that this interview was recorded prior to the SAG strike. So no one is breaking any SAG rules by us putting this out. And I just want to let you know, there's been a lot of tattling on the internet for people, um, but we are all good. We are obviously checking with lawyers and doing the right shit. So our guest today is a phenomenal actress who you guys might know from shows like Banshee and Blindspot. 
Scott. She was also a regular on Apple TV's dystopian sci-fi show, C. Uh, but you know her today as the quintessential rich college bitch, Gloria Colhane. Please enjoy our convo with the very cool Trieste Kelly Dunn. Yes. Oh my God. We're so happy you could take the time to talk to us. Uh, of course. Because you're in a classic episode of SVU. Oh, well, I'm glad not to even, hear that. I'm not trying to be, that's, I'm not, that wasn't even an intentional pun. The episode is called Class, but it is also classic. Um, <laughs> well, the most class, I mean, what jumps out at me immediately is like early 2000s frosted eyeshadow lipstick, your hairdo, a pink cardigan. I mean, so true. it is like so <laughs> the dream outfits of a cool mean girl of that time. Juicy. I remember juicy sweatsuits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So like, this is, I think this is just looking at your IMDb, one of the first roles you got for TV, yes. right? So how did it, like, yes. were you so pumped to get cast? Was this like your 50th Law & Order edition? Like, how did the process go of getting this part? Um, I had, I, I don't even think I'd been in New York for an entire year. So it was definitely one of my first jobs. Maybe not my very first, but it was like in the top three. And um, I went in for the audition. My roommate was also auditioning. Ooh, so wow. it was a little uncomfortable, a little bit when I got it, obviously. And I felt bad too, because I had I had just done a job and I was like, oh, she really needed this more than me. Um, but I think I was just bitchier. So that's why I got it. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys still friends? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, I was cool. a bridesmaid at her wedding. So it wasn't, she probably forgot all about it. So <laughs> love I mean, if you're going to live with another actor, that's just, I think, the realities, right? You got to, you're going to go against each oh, other. Oh, yeah. I definitely had my share of, disappointments for sure. I mean, constantly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that this business is, uh, I always say an endless parade of disappointments. Um, pretty much. So pretty much. yeah, <laughs> kind of wild. It's your first ever real like TV acting job because like you're really holding your own with like Maloney and Ice T, and like you're handing it back to them. Like the banter is so oh, good. Oh, thanks. Well, that's nice. Back when I had confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Before the industry broke you of all of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I remember Ice-T was super nice. He was really friendly. Everybody was really friendly. Um, but he especially, you know, I think I was, I'm sure I was nervous. I just specifically remember him having a conversation where he was like, you know, we kind of do the same thing every day. And, and, and the, the fun part for us is to get you guys to, to, to see what you guys are going to do. Which, and I didn't yeah. realize at the time, like I just didn't, know enough about TV, but yeah, it's like they kind of do do the same thing. The, the guest spots are really where all like the meat of the show is. Totally. And now that I've been on those kind of procedurals, it does get a little bit, um, when you're the, when you're like the cop role, like you're just interrogating people all the time. Right. <laughs> do you remember any other fun stories? Or oh my God. So Diane, I, yes. Diane Neal, so can I tell you a story about Diane Neal? Yeah. We, we love Diane. Oh She's God. been on the podcast. Okay. So... <laughs> This might have been like, I don't know, one in the morning when we were shooting a scene with her and Chris Maloney in like an interrogation room. I'm vaguely, this is like, I, this is a long time ago, like 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm this is, it's like pieces of, in my memory, but um, Chris Maloney, there was a line. I, I need to go see the scene. Uh, there was a line in the scene and he kept like forgetting it and he would say it really funny but he was like keeping it together because he wanted to leave. He wanted to like, he'd been shooting all day and he's doing this, you know, 10 months a year and he's exhausted. And, but the way he was saying this line, like off camera, he wasn't even on camera. It was like off camera. Like me and Diane Neal would just start laughing to the point where we couldn't stop laughing. And it's one of the more, <laughs> we're like slap happy. And so 
<laughs> I would see her face. See, like he would do the, he would make the little mistake and you'd see him like try to like get the word right. And then Diane Neal would go. And you would just see her crack. And then I was just like, I could not keep it together. And it was so hard to get through the scene because, and Chris was, I'm sure, just like so pissed off, which I would be too if I was in his shoes. At the time, I'm just young. So I don't, I don't get like what that TV right. schedule is like, but it is such a crazy schedule. And then he's got like kids at home and just wants to leave, you know, it's like Friday night or something. And me and Diane just can't stop laughing. And I remember she looked at me and she goes, like somebody was like, Diane, you need to stop laughing, you know, got like kind of scolded her. And, and she goes, see, I just, I just think about getting fired. And then, and then I, I stopped laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And then things got kind of serious. It was like, oh yeah, don't, don't laugh. But it was, you know, when you're trying not to, it wasn't like just a thing. It's like a psychological thing. You, we just couldn't control it at that point. We were slap happy. And we know that Diane is a snort laugher as well. So that kind (laughs) of, I feel like elevates things when you're like, people are now snorting and you're like, oh my God. It was so funny. It was just like, there's a few things I remember and that definitely stands out as being just like one of the highlights. <laughs> well, that scene too, Maloney is so in your face. I mean, he gets close to perps, but like he is in your face. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And so that's why it's like, if he missed a line and said it funny, it was just really hard to keep it together. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, a, looks like he's about to kiss you basically. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite tropes too, because they reveal the ring and like, the I love, there's a few episodes where it's like one little mistake in jewelry and you're done. And I love that. Yeah. Right, it's a bingo right. board moment. <laughs> yeah. Getting too greedy, getting too greedy and taking a ring or something that you stole from someone you killed. Yeah. Um, right. And then you got to take the stand, another bingo moment when you do Law and Order. Yeah. You got to be on the stand, the courtroom. Yeah. How was that? That was so, that was so fun. Like, I don't know. I was just having fun. It just seemed like a a great guest spot. Um, I haven't done one since. Sometimes some people do too, don't they? Oh yeah. Sometimes they bring people. Like at the beginning, they would bring people back closer together, and now I think they space them apart more. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I know. I know. What would you like to come back as? Oh my gosh. I mean, the bad guys are the most fun because I feel like when you audition for the victim guest spot roles, you have to cry a lot and. That's much just as that's just harder to like cry yeah. and like do a lot of exposition. That's just like hard to do. <laughs> so the bad guy roles are more fun, I think. You got to be fun. Like you were just like, I was just like, I can't. Who is this girl? Cause the, I mean, obviously they're painting you as so rich, but I'm like, who is this girl that is so fearless of the cops? Like you have not I know. in the world of the cops. You're like, wow, a comedian, cool. Like you're like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so much attitude. I also wrote wrote down one line that you had where Novak goes, he was addicted to you. And you went, is that so hard to imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? That was a line? Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even. That's so funny. Is that so hard to imagine? Do you remember watching it when it came out? Like, do you watch stuff? Was it a big event? Oh, I'm sure I watched it. I'm sure I watched it. But the, the funny thing is I was living at that time, I was still living in my like first New York apartment. And I think we were like five people in a two bedroom. It was like, we didn't have cable. We couldn't afford anything. So <laughs> if I did watch it and that, I think that was before streaming. Cause oh, that was yeah. early 2000s, right? Yeah. So that would have yeah. been well before streaming. So I'm like, when did I watch it actually? Cause we didn't, I'm sure probably when I like went to my mom's house, I watched it. I don't even remember when, <laughs> but I'm sure I know I did. I know I TiVo. did. I remember watching yeah. it. 
I also had really bad acne back then. I remember being so stressed about my like 20 year old. I had really bad acne problems and the makeup artist was so sweet. She was like trying to help me. And I just remember being like, oh, everybody's like looking at my acne. <laughs> oh, God. well, you definitely couldn't. It definitely didn't read on camera. The makeup people did did great. Oh, they did. They really did. And they were yeah. very sweet. And they even put me in Mariska's dressing room. I hope that was a, she, when she wasn't at work, I think they would put people in her dress and she was yeah, like, yeah. okay with it. But yeah, I remember being in her dressing room, just being like, oh, am I supposed to be in here? <laughs> wow. Do you ever steal things from sets for memories? <laughs> Do I steal things? Gosh, have I ever stolen anything from a set? I'm sure there's been something. Socks, plenty of socks. They always have really <laughs> nice socks on set. Like they give you, like even if you come to set with socks on, the costume people always leave socks for you. Usually they even leave underwear. I mean, there's just like, they want you to have everything in case like you yeah. didn't wear your underwear that day or whatever. <laughs> so I would always, and I don't know about this set specifically, but like usually I, I, I just leave the socks on because I'm like, oh, well, that's not really stealing. I just like left the socks on. So I've definitely left the socks on. I don't know about like stealing like prop objects or anything. I don't know if I've done that. Sometimes people give you stuff, you know, like if you yeah. have the prop guy, you know, he'll give you something. I would have taken that pink card again. And oh, I should have. And then I would have been I like, I don't know. I left it in the trailer. I don't know. I should have done that. I could have just worn it out. They would have never known. <laughs> it was so cute. How was your, how, do you remember the arrest also at the very end when they like are cuffing you and you're like, this is crazy. And they're like, you're going to jail for stealing the ring. I loved it. Chris Maloney is like kind of rough a little bit. And I liked it because yeah. it like gave me something to do. And also people love that he arrested me. Like people are always like, oh my gosh, Chris Maloney arrested you in Law & Order. <laughs> like that's my claim to fame is that Chris Maloney arrested me. Because he has such a crazy fan. Like his fan base is psycho. A lot of gay men love him. I think oh. from his days in Oz, right? Yeah, and like, and now his butt is having like a re like a resurrection, <laughs> and like he's a, and now he's like a zaddy, and he's doing naked Peloton commercials. So yes, yeah. He, I think I don't know yes. whether back then he was into it, but now I think he's playing it up. Like I yes. think he loves that kind of stuff now. Yeah, because people seem very impressed by the fact that he arrested me. <laughs> yeah, that would be my dating profile picture for sure. <laughs> well. <laughs> And we always talk, like, he's so toxic now when you watch back and he is really rough and breaks the rules often. But, like, there is a fantasy of him, like, throwing you against a file cabinet, you know? So you kind of... <laughs> a little bit. That would have been a different ending. Maybe a better ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, you know, we obviously stalked you. I was on Instagram. Your costumes on this show, C, looks oh. so fucking good. Yes. Well, tell us about this show, too. You're also working with hottie Jason Momoa, yes. which we would love some insight on that, hottie. About it. That was fun. No, Natalie um, Bronfman did the costumes, and gosh, yeah, she was, oh, my God, that was just so incredible. She gave me something, too. She gave me, like, I had this cool snake thing. It, like, it was like a bracelet that went all the way over your hand, and, like, it was like a hand piece. Ooh. I don't even know what you call it, but it was like a hand piece with, like, a snake wrapped around so she did give me that. Um, that was amazing. And, and I'm sure you have a lot of occasions to wear that too. Well, I haven't actually like worn a, it out once. A snake hand piece. I know. I should wear it actually because it would be cool. Yeah. I, should, I should have worn it to the premiere, but it just didn't go with my dress. Um, but 
Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. And Jason definitely walked around set with his shirt off sometimes because it was very hot in Toronto. So that was also fun. Um, just watching. Well, what him. is the, what's the, will you tell us about the show? Like, what's the premise of C? Okay. The premise of C is basically it's like hundreds of years into the future. There's been a virus that has basically, everybody has like lost their vision. They've got these like cataracts. And so pretty much the entire population has had to adapt to not being able to see except for there's like three characters that can see. And so all the powerful people are trying to exploit them to like make weapons, essentially. It's just, it's it's like a very like sci-fi kind of earthy, lot of good fighting, a lot of violence, a lot of violence if you're into that. Um, the scenes, I kind of have to look away, like they're almost too violent, but Jason Momoa has a lot of amazing fight scenes. Um, are you, you a seeing see, person? Yeah. Are you a seeing or no, not seeing? No, I'm not. So they treat my they treat everybody's eyes like in post. And so your eyes look really cool. And um, and they gave us canes. We had like these kind of canes, walking sticks. And the other thing about it that was so interesting is that you couldn't look at actors. Because in this world where like nobody, because like right now, people who, you know, are visually impaired, if they're if they're looking at you, it's because they're adapting to kind of like the seeing world, like as most of us can see. And so they're a minority. So they've like kind of had to adapt to, oh, try to make, like try to look as closely to the person's sure. eyes. But in a world where every, nobody can see, like they, there's no need to like look at them. They're just going off their hearing. So a lot of times you'd be doing a scene in in profile. So I'm like listening to somebody here and looking that way. So you're almost never wow. making eye contact. You're just really never making eye contact. You're looking around the person the whole time. And so that was crazy to do. That was just so new to me. I've never done wow. anything like that. Like, not being able to look at an actor. Like somebody would come and say, oh, it looks like you're looking at him. And I was like, well, I think I'm just looking past his ear. Well, look, from the camera perspective, it looks like you're looking at him. So look further away. You know, that was really wow. weird because we're so used to like, like we're so used to listening really with our eyes, you know, body language. It's like somebody can say one thing, but what they're doing visually is like you're getting something else from it. So I found that to be like really, that was really challenging, but also really fun and totally different and sensual and the costumes. We just had so much stuff to, to, to play with. So what's life in Utah like? It's a lot of skiing. I ski a lot. Are you in Salt Lake? No, I'm actually right now currently in Provo, Utah. Um, and then I'm at, Sun, in, you know, Sundance, Utah. It's kind of, it's not the, where the festival, the festival's in Park City, but Sundance is um, this little tiny like ski resort, small ski resort, like five chairs, I want to say. Robert Redford's, Robert Redford owns it. They do the Sundance Institute and the labs there, but it's not quite where like the giant festival is. The giant big festivals in Park City, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes um, up the canyon. So it's a really beautiful mountain. You guys should definitely come out sometime and visit and I'll show you around. It's yeah. So yeah, you're beautiful. a nature girl. I you're really Instagram's am. Nature. It, I really am. It was like hard to be in New York for so long, but I got so used to it and I loved it. But when the option was like, when it became COVID times, it was just like not a question for me. I was like, there's no way I'm just sitting in an apartment for a year and like grinding out self-tapes. Like, I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you just said like you filmed in Toronto. I'm sure you're just always somewhere else. That's the thing is that when you get the job, you're actually, uh, you know, usually... Sh that said, I shot tons of stuff in New York. So I, sh I should spend more time there just because that's kind of where my like, you know, actor family is. And so I should I should get back. My partner, Houston, he is from Alabama, but he's really like a New York person. He just really wants to live in New York. But we were kind of all over the place. And I was like, I have a home in Utah. Like, let's just go live there for a while and figure it out. And then it's just easy to stay. 
Um, and so we've been here for about a year now, but he, he was noticing there's soda shops all over Provo and Orem, Utah, like soda shops. So there's one like called- a bar. No, soda. Like soda. No, I know, but like the way they, they oh. treat it the way like another city would treat bars. Yes. Like it's like, yes. come in here and get there's your, your no soda. Bars. There's you know? like no bars. There's like two bars <laughs> in the entire city. Like there's two, and they're like kind of weird. And it's really hard to get a liquor license apparently in Provo because like, I, I think BYU kind of owns them or yeah. they don't want the more, the kids, the, the students to start drinking, I guess. So there's these soda shops. One's called Sip and Fizz. One is called So Delicious. One is called Pop and Dot. There's like 15 different like like soda places. They're, they're like franchises that I see all over Utah. And they have lines. There's like car lines. And they're not cheap. Like I've gone to one before and got like the red. They, they mix soda. So they'll put like Red Bull and then other flavored soda. So it's like sugar on top of sugar. Some of them, they give you a free cookie. Wow. <laughs> it's like... That's that's the that's the vice here is just like sugar and soda. Like they they, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they eat sugar. Wow. That's wild. I know it is really wild. Well, so you're okay, so you're in Provo, I'm you're in auditioning. Provo. Yes. Is there anything that you want our listeners to check out? Any like recent projects or anything coming up that you want us to keep an eye out for? Just pray for me. Just keep me in pray your prayers. For you. <laughs> No, Prayers I've had some, I've had a sad, like, a, I don't want to call it a sad year, but just um, a lot of close calls. A lot of those kind of jobs where you're just like kind of heartbroken. You just get, it's like the feeling of like somebody just broke up with you and broke your heart. Like that's like, they were so close that you're like, the carrot is like really close and gets closer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just know it's somebody else. They went with somebody else. And that's been happening so many, so much this year. And now we're in this writer's strike. So it was just like, dang, this is... I'm like, is it just, is it over for me? <laughs> no, I think a lot of people are feeling that way that it's like just bouncing back too. from the from the uh, pandemic stuff. Totally. Like everything. Yeah, you know? it's really different. It's really different doing the self-tapes because I think they just, they cast a much wider net. Wait, have you have you ever met another Trieste? Okay, my mom's name is Trieste. My grandma's okay. name is Trieste. And my great okay. aunt's name is Trieste. And then there's wow. some other Trieste in the family too. So <laughs> Okay, so family name. All right, cool. Yeah. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> You've met a few. This was very fun. I know. Yeah, nice, to so nice to meet you, you guys. Nice to meet you guys. You too. Thank you. you so much for taking the time to tell us about your SVU experience. Of course. And yeah. Your life. Thanks for reminding me of that episode because it was really fun and it's good to be reminded. Wow. Trieste. So cool. Living the life in Utah. Cool girl. Um, really definitely. cool girl. Best character. Dream character. Rich bitch who thinks they got away with it all, but arrested at the end. Silver bracelets. Yeah. Like, it's, so. why, <laughs> it's why we go to the movies, JK. The television <laughs> We come shows. to this place for magic. Um, yeah. For it's... people getting arrested and a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> for, for rich bitches forcing their poor boyfriends to kill their poker partners. Um, I do yeah. feel bad for the guy, but I hate when Maloney, like, I, I don't know. I relate to him. I was also poor. It's like, shut up. Yeah, it's like- He killed guys, a woman. Uh, yeah, he strangled a woman in a rage over money. And you're like, oh, there's just something about this kid. I think he's good on the inside. It's like, what? I just hate, I get it when it's like the parent stuff and you just feel for these children, but this is too far. <laughs> you know, this is way too far to like want to give a pass to someone who, who did- murder a woman. I don't care if it was because of gambling debts. Like, yeah. 
then get your own legs broken. That's not my part. Like, I, I just, I hate when Maloney has a soft spot for just like looking like someone that looks like him. I don't know. It bothers me. We've also just seen so many episodes of the show where a man is like either in the, on the, in the, at the defense table or like being exited from the courtroom where he's like, why are you doing this? And it's just a woman fucking him over. So I kind of love that though. I do love when like, he's like, but babe, I did it all for you. And she's like, adios. It was just a great, great scene. Yeah. The damaged the damage of it all. He was going to go to jail for life for little R.A. Grainer. Yeah. Or even the guy who, in Mother, who, like, thought that he was, like, in love with his therapist and was like, why are you doing this? I love you. Like, there's so much, like, protestations of love in the courtroom. Yeah. John, what is it? John Abraham? John Abrams? It's always tough with the last names. Casey, start (laughs) typing. Casey's (laughs) typing. He's finding it. But I think it's Abrams. What did you think it was? John Abrams, wasn't it? John Abrams. It's John Abrams. No, there's an H. John Abrahams. John Abrahams. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A good, a great former guest. And... You know, he's in one of my favorite movies, Prime, which I'm sure Kara hasn't seen. I have seen pieces of it, I remember. I remember it because in that movie, doesn't Meryl Streep tell him not to do Q-tips in your ears or something like that? I rem- always remember that part because I'm well, Q-tipping my ears is one of my greatest joys in life and I don't care if you're not supposed to do it. I love it so much. Well, yeah, because Uma Thurman's like in therapy with Meryl Streep and Meryl's caught on that. Uma's dating her son, um, but she's still testing the waters to know like when ethically she should hop out. Right. Because um, she also doesn't want to ditch her client if it's a fling, but then Uma's like, what kind of mother would do that to her son? And <laughs> Meryl Streep gets all like defensive about <laughs> Ear canals. No, I love a Q-tip. I love a Q-tip yeah. for a lot oh, of stuff. I feel so clean after I Q-tip those ears out after a shower. Um. Anyway, I don't know. It's pretty come, obvious. Yeah, this is why you come to this podcast to hear about the joys of Q-tipping. Yes. <laughs> Postmortem so of cool. this episode. What did we learn? Don't ever think that a rich bitch that you need to pay for, for with money is going to stay with you because the minute you lose even a few dollars, she's out of there. You know, like... Don't. Yeah, that's and you're a good young. Lesson. You're young. This isn't real love. Like, get out of there. Don't work with ultimatums or having to like ruin your life to be with someone. Not the yeah. thing. Not the gig, bitch. Don't and do like, it. And like, I respect the hustle of the like selling of the term papers and the playing poker and stuff. But you can't take it. Like, just don't. Don't get wrapped up in the illegal stuff because then you're just going to get busted. You don't have the high-powered lawyer to help get you out of this shit the way that Gloria Colhane does, you know? Um, It's like what you were just talking about. Oh, Lisa just sent me this TikTok that was this girl, woman that's like, I'm a lawyer and here are the things I'm going to tell my kids. Don't call me from jail and confess to me that you did something bad on the phone. They're recording that conversation. If you have trauma, don't hide trauma. Get it out. Tell people. Seek professional help immediately. That not only helps with your mental well-being, but it helps with your case for criminal or civil lawsuits down the road. But then the third thing she was saying was, don't make the cover-up worse than the crime. Like, don't, you know, like, that's kind of what happened to this guy in this episode. It's like, when something goes wrong right away, the 150K or whatever, like, just go get help and figure that problem out. Don't keep committing crimes to cover up your thing because it takes you that. She goes, that's how people spiral. 
No, yeah, I definitely sent that to you immediately in the middle of the night. Um, I knew that <laughs> your future children and the teen will know. First of all, I have to. T- I'm going to tattoo that TikTok on Oscar's body because he is absolutely going to call me from jail one day. Like, there's no question, and I need to be like, you keep it zipped up. You just tell me where you are, and I'm coming to get you. Thank God, when I got arrested, I was so wasted that I was denying everything. So I was on the phone being like, I didn't do anything. These Did you people- call your parents? No, my sister, my sister. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I was also going to say, I bet you could just speak Russian. I doubt they've got like an interpreter on hand. You could just be like in Russian, like I fucked up, come get me. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, I would suggest don't call your parents who don't speak English from jail. That will not work. <laughs> you got to call the siblings. You got to call a sibling. But also gamble for fun. No, that's blaming the victim. Sorry. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I would say if you are fleecing a humongous professional football player for his diamond ring that costs $100,000. Maybe don't like laugh in his face and gloat because he's going to get quite angry at you. Although he didn't end up doing anything, but still. And don't lie to your wives. They know the truth. (laughs) Quit lying to your wives. Oh, I started watching the Ashley Madison thing, but I didn't finish it. Oh yeah, there's a doc, a new doc out. Yeah, I was like, fine. I know, I know. I heard the Wham Doc is really sweet. I would love to watch the Wham Doc. It's like all about how much the other guy from Wham just like loved George Michael and was like, yeah, you could tell he was a star. And after Wham was over, he was just like, I'm out. Like, I'm just gonna, like, George can just take the fame. Like, I'm good. I had a great ride, you know? (laughs) Like, did he, did he, was he able to live on residuals from the music or did he have to get a, uh, like a job? Probably, I think he did. I, that's what that's what my friend. My fr- it was actually Georgia telling me all about it. But um, like she was saying too that it was like they used to. He used to just like he knew George was gay and he would just like help him cover and be like, oh yeah, we're just like slaying pussy left and right. But like he was covering for helping covering for him. Oh my and stuff. God, this guy from Wham! What a little ally, an ally yeah. hero. Totally. Um, I guess I'll throw this out. Th- I don't know. I loved the movie Joyride. Oh, yeah. Support Asian women. So, you know, the movie is a comedy, so we're laughing. And after, you know, (laughs) and our mutual friend has a really nice, big laugh, okay? It's the kind of laugh where if you're a stand-up, you love to hear it because it's, like, coming from her gut and she, like, loves what you're saying and she's, it's not annoying to me at all. And I have friends with annoying laughs. No, because it's real. She's not putting on anything. It's truly her enjoying life. And after the movie ends, you know, the lights go up, we stand up, and a woman turns to her and goes, you really laughed out loud at the movie? And it's like, the comedy? Like, are you shading the movie that it's bad or that my friend is laughing? Like, of course we're laughing at the movie. It's a funny movie. (laughs) It just sickens me. It sickens me. I mean, we're at dinner. People hate her laugh. And it is, I mean, it helps me get my rage out because I get to defend a friend. So for me, sometimes I'm like, it's just so crazy. What are you looking at? She's been at my stand up. She's been at our live shows. I love hearing her laugh. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just because she's my friend. But it's also, it's like, that means you're not having fun. Like, why are you sitting in silence getting mad? Like, you should be laughing. We should all be laughing. And if you're not, don't drag people down to the depths of misery with you. Like that, so whatever. 
Whatever. Well, Just, we're moving on. Give them the charity. Yeah. Let's go. No, well, we're going to World, What Would Sister Peg Do, our WWSPD segment where we tell you, point you guys to a resource, a blog, a book, a podcast episode. It, we even did a made-for-television movie recently. You know, we're all over the place, but something to give you more information about what we talked about in today's episode. And listen, SVU has made a full character choice with Rollins having a gambling problem. Clearly, the kids in this uh, episode have gambling problems. So we thought we would... Uh, point out the National Problem Gambling Helpline, which is 1-800-GAMBLER. As shown in the episode, gambling can be really destructive addiction. It can wreck people's lives. This network is a single national access point to local resources for those seeking help with a gambling problem. Even if you know someone who's just like getting in a little bit too deep with online poker or it feels like that's where they're deriving all of their like dopamine from, like it it could end up being problematic. So maybe just seek out some help. It's available 24-7 and is 100% confidential. It includes a text and a chat feature if you don't want to talk on the phone. So if you know anyone who's suffering with a gambling addiction, give them a call at 1-800-GAMBLER. And that will obviously, as always, be posted on our Instagram stories and in our WWSPD Instagram highlight that we, where we save all of our past organizations and resources. Thank you so much for that. And next week, we will be doing the episode Spousal Privilege. You heard that correct. Season 16, episode 8. Join us. Star-studded. We should say something else. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. We really Email fell apart us. here at the end, but we Email are us, obsessed. DM us, talk to us forever. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.